ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control Nine. to Major Tom. Sing countdown engines on three two check ignition and may God's love be with you This is ground control to major tongue Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes and I'm here with my good friend Tim Elliott. Hello. Hey Tim, I understand that um, there is a need for a new Kermit the Frog voice. Only for singing, I think it should be you. Can you get Stan to come out? <laughs> one, of the worst thing, one of the worst things I've ever done. I mean, that's the only reason I even did that was because I was so caught up in the moment that I was with all these other podcast guys and I felt like I was like sitting with royalty. So I'm like, well, I have to do something. I can't just sit here and do nothing, you know? <laughs> now, uh, yeah, just the other day I was listening to another podcast and I heard them do you. Really? Yeah, they go, hello, Stan here. Oh, man, and somebody's, somebody's po- poaching my bit, man. Well, I mean, they were they were giving you an homage. Oh, Dude, so, what, uh, what, uh, what show is this? I want to say it was Back to the Bins. Well, that could be because that's where I, that that originated. Yeah. So so yeah, I think it was uh, probably a Doctor Bill thing. Golly, you know, it's just uh, my mind is not what it used to be, especially this morning. You know what? <laughs> Don't go anywhere. I'm right here. I'm going to just creep over to my little fridge here and get me some caffeine because man, I got to get myself um, get my brain working and get, something's get, just not firing. Get you some caffeine. I'll uh, go I'll, ahead. Vamp, I'll vamp. Vamp. For I'll a vamp. Moment. Yeah. Uh, I want to bring up something because I just listened to that you're before we got on mic, we were talking about uh, Brian's stuff he was doing and he had taken his kids to laser tag or something and he was talking about um, ooh, that sounds good. He was talking about shooting uh, uh, the laser guns, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it reminded me I, uh, on Bug Spots and Babes uh, they covered Westworld, the original. Oh, yeah. And uh, they were talking about uh, Jason was talking with his dad about the guns, and you know, and the premise of the, of the the show is that the guns won't fire anything warm, you know, with a, with a body temperature. That's right, why you right. don't get shot. So of course, everything fouls up, and they start. They, you know, the the you know, Yul Brynner is able to uh, shoot uh, James Rowland. James Rowland, and then he goes after uh, Richard Benjamin. 
Anyway, at one point, his gun stops firing, and he looks at it and says, battery low or battery dead or something. And they discussed, the reason why you're, you're talking about laser tag brought this to my mind, because they were discussing, uh, okay, the battery's dead in the gun, so it won't work anymore. And they were just, you know, I thought, well, what is it shooting? If it's battery powered, it's not shooting bullets. What is it shooting? It's got to be shooting something to kill James Brolin. So that's a question for you, Jason, if you're listening to our show. Explain that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, if I'm, I mean, again, it's been a while since I watched the original Westworld. And, of course, the the update on Westworld that they got on HBO, which I think is a brilliant show, um, they're firing real bullets, apparently, because they really mess up the, uh, yeah, they, the, andro- the androids. androids. Yeah, but they're, and yet, but they're, they're not they, firing they, at the humans. Right, they can't, the, the gun itself can't fire at the humans, I think. That's a show that I, I watched, and I, I tried to watch the whole thing through, and everybody was raving about it. It just, I, need, I guess I need to watch it again, but it just didn't stick with me. It was like, yeah... It's okay. Well, well, the thing I think the thing is with Westworld, you're looking for. I mean, everybody when they watch anything like this, they're always looking for that point of view character, and the initial point of view character is that kind of wimpy businessman guy. You know that that when and the reveal. I I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to yeah, give that away. Yeah. But but you know the the thing is you 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 you're looking for a point of view character, and I couldn't relate to him, and I couldn't re- relate to the other business guy. And you find out really quick that James Marsden, of course, is an android, and um, so you you don't have any connection to him. My connect character, my point of view character, actually was Jeffrey Wright, and what happened with him was a complete mind bender. Yeah, that came out of yeah. That's yeah. It, but so I mean, so I really enjoyed the show for that because it really threw me on end. It was like the first time I watched um, Fight Club. Mm-hmm. You know, because that that just throws you on end if you don't know what the shot is. Oh yeah. Well, Westworld was, and I watched all of it. And I I kind of skipped because we were fixing to lose HBO, so I kind of just skipped a couple episodes and just watched. The, so I saw the finale. So I know how it ends. I thought some of the characters with um, the one, I guess she's a prostitute. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> not, Th- Th- Thandie Newton. Yeah. Yeah. I thought what happened to her kind of was a little cliche and just some story. Because, I mean, face it, anytime you're going to have near sentient robots or anything that mimics human life that's that's computer controlled, what's going to mm-hmm. happen? I mean, what's the only way, what's the only road they can go down? Evolution. They, they become self-aware. Yeah. So, so I, I just I guess maybe I need to give it a second try because sometimes on second viewings your your opinion can change a little bit. I watched uh, I watched Justice League last night because I was here by myself and yeah I had nothing else to do so I went and bought uh, Justice League which I thought I'm not going to buy that because I don't really like it and I watched it uh, I didn't still didn't like it but I enjoyed it I guess a little more than I did the first time when I saw it in the theaters. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed watching it again here at home, being able to look at all the little things that they threw in. Um, but again, it's not one of those things that I'm, I'm not sitting there jumping on the J, the Justice League bus saying, you know, hey, this is the great franchise to move forward. Hopefully they can do something. Now, the, the news that we've got a, uh, a director for the new gods uh, that came out a couple days ago. And that, you know, that right there. They're making a new gods film. 
they are making a new Gods film, but I think they're making it like four years too late because all people are going to do is sit there and say this is their Infinity War. This is their Thanos. You know, they're going to say Dark Side is Thanos. And while Thanos is actually a copy of Dark Side, people aren't going to see it that way. They're going to well, turn no, it around. Marvel's there first. I mean, that's, that, that's going to be the, the problem with any DC uh, films because they're, they're everybody, I mean, the, the general but, public is going to say you're just trying to copy what Marvel's doing in a way they are. But I think they should change the title too. They should not call it The New Gods. They should call it Jack Kirby's Fourth World. Because when you call it the new gods, you're going to get half the population going, ah, it's against the church, it's against God and Jesus. And blah, well, blah, blah. I think you could call it the fourth world and just not call it Jack Kirby's yeah. fourth world, but just call it exactly. the fourth world. Yeah, you're right. You're and it right. could I'm, be. I mean, those are some obscure characters, but look what they did with Guardians. So, I mean, if it's handled right, you can take... And sometimes obscure characters work better because there's not as much baggage. You know, people well, don't know as much about them. But see, that's the other thing, is that if you sit there and you highlight, and if you start off New Genesis before the Hunger Dogs, you're, you're okay, Isaiah is Orion. Uh, I mean, Isaiah is Odin. Orion is Thor. New Genesis is basically... Uh, Asgard? Asgard. I mean, you know, I mean, there, it's there's so many parallels between the two. I mean, it's obvious, you know, that Jack used a lot of that for his mythology. So, again, you know, there's a lot of people that are just going to say they're trying to mimic, you know, what Marvel's already done. Well, not knowing that the, 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 the writer-artist came from basically starting everything at, at Marvel. So, of course, he's going to borrow from what he already knows. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of writer-artist, uh, have you heard what's been going on with Stan Lee lately? I've heard some accusations, but... I'm not sure I believe any of them, but well, I mean the things that the things that are in the public that that um, are def- definitely true are the the money troubles because there was a mishandling of certain funds. Well, I know he's having it, money troubles. Yeah, there, there was mishandling of certain funds, and as a result, he lost 1.8 million dollars, oh, and I then someone wrote a 300 thousand dollar check out of his account without anybody's knowledge. And it went to an organization he used to be part of uh, for charity. But he's like, you know, I don't know anything about that, and nobody knows anything about that, so they're trying to figure out what happened there. But that and all the other things with the people around him, it seems like since his wife's passing that the the people around him are basically circling the wagons and trying to prepare. Maybe you're going to hear about a change in his will or, you know, who knows what. But he's got children and grandchildren, and hopefully they're going to sit there and get everything worked out. I just hope we don't get another Casey Kasem situation where he's yeah. all of a sudden married to a 30-year-old girl. And, and wanders off and nobody knows where he's at. And Right. Right. I mean, but the thing is, he's sick right now. He's been fighting pneumonia for weeks. He's had to cancel all of his latest appearances. I know he canceled some stuff, but I know he was he was sick. But that's not when that when that sometimes in it, in that that can happen quickly. You know, with, yeah. When somebody starts kind of going downhill, it it, it happens. You know, I, I don't want to say it, but it may be this time next year we don't have Stanley. Yeah. No. And and you know, the thing is, this is a guy that's had an amazing life, and. The, the one thing that, that, that really stuck, stuck out to me within the last year or so was he showed up on Comic Book Men. Mm-hmm. 
And if you watch that episode, he goes into the secret stash. He goes in there and hops up on the counter. This is a 95-year-old guy, and he hops up on the counter. And I'm like, how does he do that? And then last night, my wife showed me this video on Facebook of these women, all of them 100 years old or older, doing a 100-yard dash. And some of these women really sprinted. It looked like they could run faster than me. You run faster than me, I can guarantee it. Well, I, I'm just starting to think maybe all these preservatives we're putting in our food's not such a bad thing. <laughs> I, I think he's just, you know, I don't know. I don't, I know he used to be a smoker, I think, but I don't know. I'm sure he didn't smoke now, but um, yeah, I mean, somebody, uh, I don't know who, I don't know who, who can I attribute this to because I don't remember who said it, but they said they, they dread the day when there isn't a, a, a Lee cameo in a film and it, it opens up with this is dedicated to Stanley, you know, meaning, you know, he's passed. And the next, whichever film comes out next is going to be, you know, we've dedicated this to Stanley. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, gosh. You know, there's been so much that's been said about Stan in the past couple of weeks and months. Talking about, you know, what he took away from Jack or what he took away from Ditko or, or, or you know, who did all the work or didn't. You know what? I don't care. I don't care about all that because... Number one, it's all in the past right now. Anybody that wants to talk about it is just the people on the outside. Nobody on the inside wants to talk about it. Steve yeah. Dickerman doesn't want to talk about it. Jack Kirby and Stan, they made their beans years ago. There's a, a radio interview where they they say everything that they wanted to say. It's done. And, and Stan had massive contributions from the 1940s all the way to, was it 72 is when he left as editor-in-chief? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in, in that time, you know, he helped create some of the greatest comics that are out there today. We would not have what we have right now if Stan in 62 didn't is with 62 decided to do Fantastic Four at his wife's insistence. Well, I don't think I don't of course I don't I don't want to speak out of turn. I don't think Stan ever came out and ever himself said, Hey, I created this by myself, I created this by myself. I think it was he was the face of Marvel. So I think right. they just naturally attributed all this stuff to him. I think he's always uh, credited, hey, Jack and I did this. Jack and, you know, Steve and I did this. Right. He never, uh, you know, and, and I think what people don't, I mean, Stanley bashing is pretty popular now. It's kind of up there with George Lucas bashing. Um, or, or Bob Kane bashing. Or Bob Kane bashing, yeah. But <clears throat> but Bob Kane, maybe it's a little more... I don't know. I don't. I don't want to get into that. But from watching, if you watch the uh, the documentary, uh, um, is it Batman and Bill? Yeah, it's about Bill Finger getting finally getting credit for uh, Batman. Uh, Lee was. I mean, Lee uh, Kirby might have been the the quiet kind of genius behind in the background. He was creating this all this work, but Stan was out there. Not only was Stan writing it, he was writing the majority of all the books. He was yeah. also public promoting it. Promoting it. He was out yeah. there uh, doing, like I guess, press interviews, and he was going to colleges, and he was. That's why he became the face of Marvel. He was the one that was really pushing. So who's not to say that that is not as important as what the work was? I mean, and I don't want to take away anything from anybody else. I think they are. I think that ten years is like Linda McCarthy. Those two together was just something that was magical. And that's what came out of it. So, and that brings up a you know a point that you and I have made over the years here. Oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. But <laughs> uh, over the time that we've been podcasting, is that 
it seems like, you know, and, and of course you hear that there was tension. You do hear that there were disagreements and back and forth on the Lily Kirby part. And we hear this, of course, with the, the Burn Claremont or, you know, any of these creative groups in you know, London McCartney, you know, all, you're just going down the road. Mm-hmm. All of the, all of these, these creative groups had tension, had disagreements, had troubles. And it was from those troubles, from those disagreements, that the brilliance came. That the, the the finished product came out probably being greater than any one of them could have created on their own. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I just wish people would, would stop lamenting the tension and just celebrate the genius that came out of it. Yeah, I, I think they're doing a... Uh, they're doing a good job of... Uh, of I think they're certainly getting their credits worth. I mean, well, whether now whether or not that how that translates into money, you know, if Lee was getting a bigger a bigger share of the of the profits than uh, the artists were. I, I, I can't say. But. Yeah, he had to have, and simply simply for this, you know, the thing is, there was the writers' uh, pay and the artist pay. The artist got paid by the page. Mm-hmm. All right, whether it's thirty dollars a page or whatever it was, you know, back then in the '60s, which is definitely significantly less, but they got paid by the page. And you know, Jack would sit there and he would get plotter credit and artist credit, but then someone else would come in and ink it, so someone else would get the the the, the pay for the inking. Mm-hmm. Stan would be plotter, writer, editor, and editor in chief. So he got four different paychecks out of all that. Well, he was he was publisher at that point too, wasn't he? Yeah. So I, I mean, you know, he he definitely had a lot more money coming in as a result of that. Now that's no shot against Jack. Jack Jack was sitting there doing what three four books a month. Yeah. What was it? Was it? He was doing like eight pages a day. You know, that, that's insane. It is. That's it insane. is. And 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 so you know he eked out his existence on doing what he did. You know. And the thing is, is, is that guys like Jack needed people like Stan to rein them in, to keep that genius focused in, in the right direction. Because if you let Jack go off on his own, he kind of went kooky. You get some... That's big hey, look, Omac. I mean, look at Omac. Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I love Omac, but Omac is so kooky. It is so out there. I'm reading right now. I'm reading Devil Dinosaur. Oh, my God. And that, there that is some <laughs> wild stuff. It's fun. It's fun as hell, but it is some wild stuff. Weird while stuff. It's not for everybody, though. No. And I I think working with with Stan, they were able to find out what it is that is for everybody. Yeah, I mean, those early days, they were just trying to make a living. They were just trying to get the books out on time Mm -hmm. and do the best they could. And it's amazing that what came out of that. Yeah, it was really, really enjoyable. Yeah. Well, speaking of brilliance, let's uh, talk some Hulk. Yeah. Now... The Hulk that we're talking about was done by this guy. Um, what's his name? Oh, this little old artist named John Byrne. John Byrne. Yeah. Ah. Seems, seems to me there's these guys doing a podcast about him. Yeah, he may go somewhere. He keeps at it. You know. <laughs> okay, so now this is uh, your 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 baby, your book, your story. Yeah, and I decided, um, and I, I kind of give a little background as to why I decided to go... Uh, well, you, you suggested this one, but I said, let's do a Hulk book because Marvel's brought the Hulk back. You know, they killed Banner off in Secret Wars 2. Hawkeye shot him with shot him in the head with an arrow. But they, but he's been brought back. 
I think he's been brought by... Hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hawkeye kills the Hulk by shooting him in the head with he an arrow? Shot he shot Banner. Banner? Banner in the head, yes. Because <clears throat> the, the story was he had he had cured himself, he had been cured of, the, of being the Hulk, and is it Amadeus Cho? Became the new Hulk. Some young kid became the new Hulk. I, I'm not reading into this modern stuff. Me either. I, I, I mean, you know, <clears throat> what you're telling me is just like... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I don't want to. That's a whole different. I don't get started down that road, and that'll be three hours of complaining about the state of Marvel. Um, anyway, the banner was Cure of the Hulk. And at one point, he had. He thought he was. They caught him trying to. Wait, 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 wait. Hawkeye killed him, then Banner. Wait, he oh he's cured of the Hulk and then Hawkeye. He's, he's cured. Out. He's Banner is cured of being the Hulk and this Amadeus Cho is now the Hulk. Banner sets up a lab somewhere and is they they catch him trying to uh, inject himself with nanites or gamma nanites or something. He's like he's trying to make himself the Hulk again, and he starts getting upset and angry. And then Hawkeye shoots him in the head and the heart killing him. Well, he later find out that. Banner had gone to Hawkeye saying, hey, if I ever look like I'm going to lose control again, you need to kill me before I become a Hulk. So that's how Hawkeye gets gets away with basically killing him. So the Banner's dead. The Hulk's dead. He is brought back in. He came back as a cameo. It's Avengers 682, and it's the Avengers No Surrender storyline, I think, or something. They brought They brought him back. And he is going to start starring in his own book called The Immortal Hulk. So I guess now the Hulk can't die. And that's I, ne- I never thought he could. Well, as the Hulk, he probably couldn't. But well, you know, the, the thing is, is like the way that they've represented it in the movies now. And I, I give you the, the best example is in Avengers, when you know Banner's talking to them. He goes, "Hey, I got low. I tried to kill myself. I took a gun, and." He shot himself in the head, and the Hulk spit it out. You know, you know it, there's just no way. The Hulk is not going to let Banner kill himself. The, the Hulk is not going to let Banner die. And so as long as Banner's the Hulk, you can't really kill him. Well, he, he fell through the concrete in the, in the Hulk movie as Banner, and still the Hulk is the one that came out mm-hmm. to, to fight the Abomination. It's... Well, there's a. Uh, have you ever yeah. read the. Uh, I think it's Peter Davison. It's called The End. And it's. Uh, it's the end of the Hulk. It's, it's far in the future. The future imperfect? That's, it's not the Maestro. It's not that one. It's a different okay. one. Where basically. Oh, I can't remember the storyline. But Banner's an old, an old man. But. And he hasn't become the Hulk in a while, but he. He. I think he dies of a heart attack, but becomes the Hulk. And I think the the story, the way the story ends, that he's the Hulk, but if he knows if he ever reverts back to Banner, he's going to be dead. You know, the thing is, and that shouldn't be that way. As long as he's the Hulk, his Banner should be a physical prime specimen. Well, I agree. One can't be dead and the other alive. Well, no, it. it see. <clears throat> What, what most people don't realize is all the aging is is the body's collection of scars, the body's own DNA forgetting how to resequence itself so that we form back to the form that we're supposed to be in our physical prime. 
as why your hair turns white, why you know your your skin gets a different kind of pallor, why you know you get wrinkles and everything as the body forgets how to put itself back together properly, and that happens more and more as we age and age. If you know the the way the heat becomes a Hulk and reverts back to Banner, you know Banner is usually healed from any wounds that he may have sustained before he was turned into the Hulk, right? Right. So by that science, by that logic, he should form back to that perfect form of Banner. Right. He should be cured of his. Yeah, and so he shouldn't. He shouldn't age as long as he is the Hulk. Yeah. Unless the Hulk himself ages, which we've seen that in some of the the books and stuff, but still. Yeah, I get. Well, you know, that's that's well, that's the, my, the maestro. Opinion. The maestro had aged. He, yeah, that's true. That's true. But he, he was not necessarily. He just looked older, but he had absorbed so much radiation that he was actually, I think, stronger than the his contemporary Hulk. Yeah, I think. I don't know that. There's 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 some comic book logic we could put in there to allow him to age. Well, so yeah, you know, <clears> it's it, yeah. I mean, I, I just I turned myself over on that one. <laughs> well, wasn't established in. The McFarlane run, and it's still Peter Davison was writing it, right? When McFarlane was doing the Hulk, Peter David, right? Peter David, yeah, not Davison. David, yeah, yeah. That's Doctor Who. Peter. David. <laughs> uh, I was wondering where that was yeah. coming from. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fifth Doctor. Uh, it was established that that uh, classic episode or issue where he's fighting the Wolverine. And he's the Grey Hulk now, I think. Yeah. That that. The, the Wolverine is actually cutting him, you know, he's actually right. slicing him up, but he says the Hulk is more akin to, like, cancer. So, it, instead of, he just repairs himself so fast that it looks like maybe he's he's invulnerable. But he just, you know, he's, because the Wolverine just slicing him up and he's just, he's just healing he's so fast. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Alright, you want to get right. into, uh, what book are we doing today, Brian? We are doing Incredible Hulk Annual number seven. From King 19- size annual. King size. It is. King size annual. That's right. I mean, it was actually still a normal annual in in numbering and everything, but it it they touted at the top there. King size. I mean, they've got so many blurbs and and things on this Marvel Comics group, Marvel's Green Skin TV Sensation. That's right. Featuring dude. the Angel, the Iceman, and All Out War in the Edge of Space. All new. All new. John and Bob. And this sticker we can ignore approved by the Comics Code Authority. Yeah, and, and the barcode. <laughs> okay, so... All right. uh, as we said, this is uh, Incredible Hulk Annual number 7. Our publisher is Marvel. Our cover date is 78. I couldn't get a, a, a cover date month, but I got on sale date of May 9th, 1978. Cost... A total of 60 cents. Was this from Mike's Amazing World? Uh, yes. Hmm. It has 48 glorious pages. Yes. Uh, the title is The Evil That Is Cast... Dot, dot, dot. Wait a second, wait a second. But on the cover, it also says Hand of Holocaust. Yeah, I don't know why it says Hand of Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> That's really... Well, I, I mean, when you sit there and you think about the Sentinels, the Sentinels are representative of the hey, Nazi... Don't, don't give the story away. Well, no, no, I'm just saying, overall, over the, the history of Marvel Comics, Mutantdom and Sentinels, yeah, Sentinels exactly, have always yeah, I represented the yeah, Nazi regime. Yeah, yeah. 
would you? It would, and what's funny is, look at this cover compared to the cover we did our last uh, episode. It's very uh, similar. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the very giant hand at the front yeah. point of view shot. Very similar. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, we actually we had forty eight pages. We only had thirty five pages of actual story. And our characters are Hulk, Iceman, Angel, and Master Mold. Our well, writer and and, <clears throat> and 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 a green-haired uh, psychiatrist guy that we, we we know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Doc Samson is in this. And 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 two, and um, two bimbos. Uh, Jim. Jim. Jim Wilson, I think. And two bimbos. Um, and well, no, Candy Southern <laughs> is not a bimbo. Okay, the uh, ter- Terry's a bimbo. <sighs> go ahead. Okay, well, go right. ahead. Our Sorry. writer is John or John. Writer is Roger Stern. Our penciler is John Byrne. Our inker is Bob Layton. I love his inks. Our letter is James Novak. Colorist is Janice Cohen, and our editor was Bob Hall. Yeah, this... and I think it goes without saying. Well, I mean, it goes with saying that uh, Stern and Byrne were actually co-plotters, much like. Claremont and Byrne yeah. would for the X Men. Yeah, you can. And I'll, I'll, there's a point I'll bring up later that. Oh, okay. I'm sure that Byrne helped out with the plotting. Uh, this is reprinted in X Men Danger Room Battle Archives. It came out in '96, uh, and also Giant Size Incredible Hulk number one, 2008. Both of them have this story. So, uh, and along with a, a number of German reprints, and um, what is Atlantic Forlag? I said because they had a Hulk pocketbook apparently that had that, and then the Mighty World of Marvel, which was a UK magazine. I guess that's a partial reprint. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand all that. I mean, there is like tons of listed reprints on some of the pages I was looking at, and uh, Der Ungerblock Hulk. <laughs> or yeah, I mean, I don't know my German. I have to get my dad to say that. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, no worries. Our <laughs> uh, other burn books at the same time. He. Uh, he did a cover for Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number Twelve, and he was working on this is in the middle of his X-Men run, X- Uncanny X-Men Number One Twelve, Magneto's Triumphant. Triumphant. Wow, wow! Yep. Sitting there thinking about that, I mean, I know, that was the, those issues right there are so. What, what was the? No, it's just so it's just the cover, the X-Men, and the NIS that month. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's all I could find. And now he just did the pencils on two of those. He probably did pencils and inks on the cover. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure X-Men was Austin, and I don't know who yeah. inked. Um... Well, Bob Layton, of course, did inks here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he kind of took this month off, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a big book, and I'm yeah. sure he had his hands full of the Well, X-Men. yeah, that's right. This is this is uh, definitely more pages than you get out of a, a regular comic Standard book. book. Yeah. I've got a few notes of interest here that I found in my mm-hmm. research. Uh, Stern and Layton both uh, worked published a fanzine called Contemporary Pictorial Literature. And in that was one of the first places that sh- uh, featured the work of John Byrne. So there's their connection. And then mm-hmm. Byrne, uh, Stern and Layton started to work for Charleston. That's probably how Byrne got his Char- work with Charleston. Uh, Charlton. Charlton, not Charleston. Yeah, Charlton. Char- yeah, because Charleston's a candy bar. Charleston's Charleston shoe. Shoes. Charlton. Yeah. They, they did their. Uh, they started doing their um, uh, fan magazine because Marvel had Foam, which is what Friends of Old Marvel. Yeah. And then DC had. I can't remember what it was called DC something, but it was like a fan magazine. So Charlton needed a 
a fan magazine, so they got, because uh, Roger Stern and Bob Layton had been doing their own, they brought them in, and because of they had access to a bunch of the, their, old, their old archives, and I guess that's where Byrne came in and did some work on that book, and that's probably led to his Charlton work. And then that uh, led to, I guess, led to them both coming over and work for Marvel. Um, yeah, you know, Byrne had actually submitted. Um, you remember that Fantastic Four book we covered early on? Mm-hmm. The, the the fan work that he did. Right. He had submitted that to them. That was his submission, and they said, "Well, you need a little bit more work." Yeah. Why don't you come back to us after you've gotten a little bit more, you know, technically. And you're just sitting there and you go, my God, how could they sit there and say that after after seeing that work? But, I mean, I understand he was still working on his anatomy. Yeah. And he, he was still working on his, his, his I'll, I'll call it camera presentation, or where, where he's picking his shots as all that. But, well, uh, yeah, I think yeah. A, lot of, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people might think that just drawing comics is – how well you can draw a figure, but it's it's storytelling. I mean, you can yes. be a great a great artist, but if you can't tell a story, then you're, it's not going to work in a comic form. So you have to be kind of a director and an artist at the same time. Well, how did Mark Silvestri get picked up so early then? Because because while he was really good at drawing forms, he couldn't tell a story to save his life early on. Well, that's that's just that's, my opinion. <laughs> I could be wrong. I have my hands up in the air. Anyway, the uh, the owners of this podcast not share Brian's opinion. No. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> my other a few just I got some Stern stuff because this is from my from what I can tell this is the first time Stern wrote any of the X Men characters, and I think he uh, he does a great job of getting the voice down of the characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that has to come from Burn. His Burns are working on him, even though he didn't really uh, work on these classic characters. I think. That has to come over from because at the same time this was happening, Byrne was, I mean, Stern was well, writing the Hulk. Well, this was right after Champions and um, yeah, right after Champions. And right, so yeah, Champions you, you ended the about of, the same year. Right, you had the work of Bill Mantlo to to, to come off of, and I, I, you know, it's like while I don't know how popular Champions was in the comic, you know, to the comics fans, I think internally that was something that was passed around. Yeah. You, you get the sense, you know, the way that the bullpen talk and all that was. I, I think I, so. I, I think that that we had a good sense of things, and, and it carried over from Champions right into this without any kind of misstep. Yeah, I think Champions ended the same year this came out because they ended from they went from like seventy five to seventy eight, mm-hmm. uh, and that ended. And then like I said, this is right in the middle of Stern's run on the Hulk. In fact, this I think is is my notes. From what I can tell, this happens around. Hulk 219 to 229. It kind of fits in that area somewhere. Okay, so March 77 was Champions 12. Okay, so 15 was the last Champions, right? I think 17 was the last Champions. Um, well, I mean, the last... Okay, yeah, yeah. And that was the Sentinels Hunt again. And didn't Byrne just ink that one? He might have inked it. I don't think he drew it. It was... Um, yeah. And that was Jan- that was January seventy eight. So Champions was actually still going on at this time. Very close. It, I mean, what? this is May. This is May seventy eight when this went on sale. So they they had to be working on it about the same time that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it wrapped up. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking it was November because of that. Okay. And that may be so, the reason why they wanted to use these two characters because it wouldn't interfere with any of the champion storylines. Right. Right. So this, I th- this is really good continuity. 
It does. It fits in nicely with because uh, this leads off of X Men One Hundred. Mm-hmm. Where the story this has its origin there, and it fits in nicely with the, like I said, the run that Stern's doing on, on the Hulk. And I think this is as far as I can tell, this is the first time Byrne and Stern work together. It is their first. When did they do Captain America? Um, that was later. That was. Um, that was was that eighties? That would be eighties because he was doing Hulk here. Then I think he went to Cap or Spider Man. He did a big run on. Um, he did Spider-Man in the early 80s, because he's running... Um... Uh, Captain America... Okay, no, he did the cover. That's that's that. So it would have been, yeah, it would have been 80s. Yeah. Definitely would have been into... Oh, it's late, later than this, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's more that. Okay. All right. Uh, and, of course, this is before, I think, before Bob Layton went on to do Iron Man. His classic um, run on that. Now, I think that... that may have started around the same time but um golly i don't have anything that shows when because that was around iron man 110 wasn't it he started early at that's when then uh when he was doing iron man and then uh ramita was doing i think some of the breakdowns of the pencils or he was or finishes and then that's about the time i started reading um that's when i picked the more reason i picked up iron man was because it was um michelini and bob layton and just uh, another matter of a little fact here. This is uh, the first appearance of Terry Sue Bottoms, which is the other girl, and Charles P. Irving, who I think is the reporter. But is this the? Isn't this the last appearance of Terry Sue Bottoms? Probably the last appearance. I I hope. <laughs> she's she's not written very well, is she? Well, no, she's written very well for a girl her age for, and with with those kind of inclinations. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just that you know people like us are annoyed the heck out of, of by people like that. You know, yeah. it just seems like Stern was having a lot. I'm, I'm gonna get that mixed up to this whole podcast. Stern and Burn. I think he had a lot of fun with their names. Uh, yes, Candy Southern had already shown up as I think Angel's girlfriend, but Terry Sue Bottoms is little. It's, it's a little. She's like right out of the Dukes of Hazard or something. Well, you know, I mean, she's to uh, she. Okay, well, no, let's go ahead and go into the story, and we'll talk about that later. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. Incredible Hulk Annual Number Seven. Our issue opens in the plush summer home of Warren Worthington, the avenging angel of the X Men. On TV, Walter Cronkite is reporting on Bruce Banner turning himself into Gamma Base in hopes of finding a cure. Warren is enjoying a relaxing day with Candy Southern when Bobby Drake, a.k.a. Iceman of the X-Men, calls up. (laughs) Did you say the ass man? (laughs) That's Kramer. That's Cosmo Kramer, yeah. Uh, Sorry. That's okay. Bobby calls up, invites himself with his current lady friend over for a few days. Cut to Gamma Base. Reporter Charles, that's uh, Charles P. Irving, who looks a lot like Revolver Rivera to me. Irwin. Irwin. What did I Irving. say? Irvin? Irving. 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 You're, you're, you're going a little aphasic on me today. Are you okay? Nah. <laughs> my, maybe, uh, maybe you need some caffeine. <laughs> my my bifocus is not reading right. Ah. <laughs> anyway, reporter Charles asked Doc Sampson for an interview with the Hulk. Before Sampson can explain what a terrible idea that is, the Hulk breaks through a wall. Oh, yeah! Although Bruce Banner may have, been, may have voluntarily turned himself into the authorities at Gamma Base, the Hulk has no such predilections for staying 
Doc Sampson tries to keep him from leaving, but the Hulk literally pounds him into the ground till his young friend Jim Wilson manages to calm the Hulk down. Meanwhile, Bobby and his girlfriend, Terry Sue Bottoms, arrive at Warren's Rocky Mountain Chalet. Uh, Arrives at uh, Warren's Rocky Mountain, his, his getaway house. His chateau. His chateau. Chateau de Worthington. <clears throat> Terry Sue is immediately smitten with a handsome Warren. The friends are relaxing by the pool when they spot buckskin, a buckskin-clad figure approach. He suddenly attacks the two couples. After a mutant-powered tussle, the figure is revealed to be the Sentinel Master Mold. Growing to his full height, Master Mold captures Bobby and goes after the angel. Warren takes the air in order to lead Master Mold away from the girls. Remembering the Hulk is at Gamma Base, pushing himself to his limit, the angel leads the robot to the Hulk. As the giant robot nears the base, the alarms go off. Samson worries the noise will upset the Hulk. Master Mold quickly dispatches Doc Samson by slamming him into the side of one of the buildings. Disturbing a formerly resting Hulk, Master Mold stuns Angel and is about to capture him when the Hulk shows up, wondering what the noise is all about. The Hulk punches Master Mold. Master Mold kicks the Hulk into a building as he blasts off. The Hulk is now wet and cranky. Crankier than usual. Oh, man. No one does that to the Hulk. He leaps after the robot, grabs his foot, and rides Master Mold into space. The Hulk tries to rip the Master Mold apart, but lack of oxygen causes him to black out. Master Mold finally reaches his space station, Planetoid, where he places Angel, Iceman, and the Hulk in special tubes designed to dampen mutant powers. As the Hulk is not a mutant, he easily breaks free and releases the other two. The three discover they are in space as the Hulk follows Master Mold back to his command center and lays into him. Master Mold tries to keep the Hulk at bay with his concussion blast, but this only angers the Hulk, and the Hulk gets mad, well, you know the rest. <laughs> the Hulk proceeds to tear Master Mold a new one because nothing is stronger than the Hulk. Master Mold does manage to stun the Hulk with a million volt blast. Bobby barges in and demands to know who the Master Mold really is. Uh, he has not he has not behaved like other Sentinels the X-Men have encountered. Master Mold now begins to monologue. He explains he is Stephen Lang, who released the brain pattern and memories of Stephen Lang. Lang died when, the, when he encountered the X-Men in issue 100 of Uncanny X-Men, but before he died, he transferred his consciousness into Master Mold. The angel calls BS on this. He says Lang is still alive as a mindless vegetable in the S.H.I.E.L.D. hospital. Master Mold is stunned. He is Lang. But before he can come to terms with his new information, the Hulk tears into him again. In a scene of utter carnage, the Hulk eviscerates the robot. Now it's time to go. Angel and uh, Iceman and Angel, despite uh, fearing being deactivated, crawl into an escape pod. But Master Mold is not dead. He is only mostly dead. I'm not dead! What? Nothing. Here's your nine puts. I'm not dead! Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. And he manages to set the button and jam all the escape pods. Iceman throws a snowball at the Hulk to anger him so he will kick the pod loose. The pod safely lands in the Atlantic Ocean as the asteroid base explodes. The Hulk is safe too. He fell into this. He fell from the station just before it exploded. The Hulk leaps off back to Gamma Base as Angel and Bobby hurry home to the girls. The end. Yeah, that was a really good uh, synopsis. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Very tried, well done. I tried to find one from the from the wiki, and theirs is very very sparse. So I kind of combined it and my own. So yeah, no, I, I think what she has is much better than anything that was written out there. I again because it left out a lot of details that you yeah. put in, you kept in. This was really, uh, I mean, it, this is such a fun book, um, kind of a roller coaster ride the whole way. It it, it kind of almost plays like a. a 
a role-playing game <laughs> that someone just recorded the role-playing game, you know? I, re- I, re- I really enjoyed it for that. Uh, the art was beautiful all the way through. And uh, the only the only complaint that I had about the whole book was the coloring. Well, you're, um, reading, you're reading a scan like I am, right? Yeah, this is a scan. And uh, I think, I, I, you know, the thing is I'm so used to the purple, you know, the two-tone purple sentinels that I see this almost orangey blue and maybe purple colored master mold there there was the, the master molds changed so much throughout the course of this and i don't know where most of it went a lot of it came from the colorist though uh that you know that it, that that bugged me a little bit as the story went on again i'm used to i'm used to the way that you know the the sentinels looked you know to burn in austin and yeah, later I, incarnations. I, I yeah, I don't know why he's because uh, the master mold originally was drawn to be typical uh, sentinel coloring. Why he looks different in this one? Yeah, maybe it's the, as a I, contrast to per, the the Hulk's purple pants. I don't know. Yeah, I did like how you know sometimes Burn would give it almost that Neil Adams look to it. You know the odd angles and the mm-hmm. big thing. You know stuff. It was more more Adams than Kirby in in my mind. When he was doing that, because I guess he was, you know, playing off of the the Adams work from the uh, when when Thomas and Adams were working on the X Men mm-hmm. for that that uh, wonderful run back then. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. This first thing I wrote down about that this is such a fun book. Mm-hmm. It's it reminds me of what not to harp on the way books are now, but this this is the way I want a comic to to be. This is the kind yeah. of comics I want to read. It's kind of I. I I grew up when I first started collecting. This is the kind of books I was reading. The you're absolutely right. The the artwork is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I love. Maybe this is the first time I've been aware of latent inking over burn. Mm-hmm. And it has that Austin over burn has a has a kind of a Christmas to it, right? Sharpness, but this is even more than that because this reminds me of when he was doing Iron Man, and I, I think burn uh, latent excels when he's doing like tech stuff, mm-hmm. especially because he was like he was suited for Iron Man. And yeah. you see a lot of those influences, some of the tech here. It's a, it's a nice, because Burns tech is kind of similar to, to latent stuff. It's a lot of angles, a lot of flat panels. Right. Um, and I think the, uh, the tech in this is very similar, but. Yeah. There's a couple things I had questions on because, you know, I mean, if, if you know what Burn had made comments in the past that Leighton's inks kind of muddied his art a little bit. And I, you know, I, I sit there and I looked at the Ant Man thing that we saw in Marvel Premiere, the two issue series we did there with uh, Back to the Bins, mm-hmm. and this. And I, I think the the Ant Man stuff was a little bit more crisp than than this. This is a little bit, and and, and the thing, it's not in a bad way to me. It's it's muddied in a little bit, but maybe it was just the printing of the time that made it look that way. Because you know, the scam we're looking at is a print from the book that came out in 78 rather than a digital copy. Right. I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily say if, I don't think it looks any more, the only time I've ever had trouble with, with burn stuff looking muddy is sometimes when he inks himself, it will sometimes look muddy. Uh, Mm, Yeah. And I, I see thicker lines from burn when he inks himself, especially uh, that, that middle fantastic four run, not the early issues mm -hmm. that he did, you know, before tearing a small tiny town, but after that, uh, it, his his lines seem to get a little thicker 
but you know, again, this right here, it's it's still something else. And again, I, th I think it's kind of the the inking, the coloring, and the time of which this was printed. It, you know, all all had an effect on the way this artwork looks. I would love to see um, a uh, reprint, a digital reprint. Like I just got, I just got um, here. Where is it? Yeah, my uh, Marvel Universe by John Byrne book a couple weeks ago. That's a great book. I've got that. And I mean, all the prints are beautiful. And it finally confirmed to me what I had been thinking all along is that Burns Champions looks a lot better than what it did in the the uh, other digital reprints that I had, the the ones that I'd, I'd acquired over the years. Um, and that's Leighton Inks also, isn't it? I don't think Leighton did any inks on Champions. I don't think. Yeah, yeah I, I believe... You know what? I'm going to have to grab that right now. Where did I put that? But hold on just one second because it's right here. I've got it right in my hand. Is oh, that, my God, that's heavy. Is it, uh, as Andy Lathan says, it's Vagrant Killing? It's a Vagrant <laughs> Killing <laughs> book? That's beautiful. Do you have yeah, his... Bob, that's Bob Layton. Is Bob it? Layton. Okay. He did the inks on the champions. And, I, I, you know, the thing is his inks on the champions is significantly different. Than his inks on this, at least that's from the the printing of it. Now, it, the thing is, is that my printing, the the issues of the champions that I actually have copies of, I think I have all of them, but they looked better than the digital copies that I had on my on my computer. Mm -hmm. um, I've got this issue of the Hulk, but I don't remember the last time I actually pulled it out and looked at it. So again, I'm I'm thinking that you know the digital scan was just not the best copy of it for for me to to sit there and, and look at for that but it does make me wonder how come this issue of the hulk is not in this book you know i don't know it could be little you know they can't obviously can't cover everything but yeah i mean they put the 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 issues of the incredible hulk 314 through 319 mm -hmm. and the uh, marvel fanfare issue in there do you have the uh john burnt alpha flight on the bus no, I don't. That's oh, that's, gotta, that's my next. Yeah, yeah you got to get is, that. That's that's no, I've got, that's a gorgeous book too. I I I got I just got that as a birthday gift, and then I went and picked up the um, the DC Universe by John Byrne hardcover. Yeah, so I've, I've got, got that I'm, one too. Yeah, that's not as big as I wish it to be. It's not as big. no, no, it's not. But it's still gorgeous. A great great print, and I love the back cover, the the hardcover back cover, which is Nightwing grabbing onto Starfire. Just um, yeah. Anyway, uh, and but they also bought me uh, Frank Miller and Jeff Darrow's Hard Boiled, which uh, I've been wanting that for years. And just you know, it's it's one of those things where I just never went out and got it. You know, I didn't ever see it in the bookstores. And uh, my wife came across it and got it for me. Which uh, if do you know who Jeff Darrow is? Yeah, I've got the first two issues of that when it came out. I don't know how many issues it ran, but I just picked up those two just because I thought the. Uh, artwork. I saw him at uh, New York Comic Con when I was there a couple years ago, and he signed. He had some some really beautiful Godzilla prints. He was doing. Yeah. He signed. Did he have any of his Matrix artwork there? I didn't see it because he was the conceptual artist for the Wachowskis well, on the Matrix. I yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't see. He was he was sitting right next to uh, Walt Simonson. So it was. <laughs> yeah. It was wow. Cool. That's a powerhouse group there. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you want to go into this one here? Yeah. And, yeah well, you know, it's it's funny because you know I've been looking at this this first page for a little bit, 
And I've looked at this so many times over the years. I, yeah, I never realized that Warren Worthington's big screen TV, which still has the four three one aspect ratio. Of course, this is you know seventy. So yeah, but he's got this big like looks like it'd be a seventy two inch TV, tube TV. In fact, with the mountains right behind it. But if you look at it, the next the next, I can't tell if it's a flat screen or if it's built. It's outside. It's obviously That's outside. Be a, the way it's the way it's arced and angled, it looks like a tube TV. Yeah, but yeah, you, I mean, because you're only when you when you look at the next page, that image it actually should be curved mm-hmm. because you're working. It's it's got to be a tube TV, and somehow they've got it flattened there. Maybe he's got some sort of magnifying panel like they used in um, Back to the Future. <laughs> that, that, that's <laughs> probably just. I would think that that's probably easier for Brent to draw that flat image than to try to draw it on curve. But yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's Angel sitting there sporting a gold medallion, sitting there drinking some sort of tea, yeah, tea with lemon. And uh, I don't know what he's got in his hand. His hand that's a, a huge remote. Hand. That's a remote. I think. That's a remote. Okay, yeah. But that's a huge hand. Yeah. Isn't it? Well. But I guess, uh, yeah. But that's still, and, and if you look at the, the Hulk image, I, I think Bob, I think, and this is one of the things that probably bugged Byrne. It looks like Bob Layton redrew the face on the Hulk and even on Worthington, but not necessarily on Walter Cronkite. Well, that's, that, probably, that's, that's a yeah, photo reference. That's image, a photo yeah. reference. Yeah. looks like the Hulk's yeah. fixing to punch Cronkite in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, the, none of the faces, they look like, they look like burn, but they don't look like they've got the shape of burn. Right. But they don't look like, like burn that's inked by Austin or if he's inked himself. Right. So it looks a little, um, they do look a little. Uh, if you remember when Layton was doing Iron Man, he gave at one point he gave Tony Stark this like Jerry Curl kind of hair. He's yeah. This, uh, oh. So you see kind of those hairstyles a little bit throughout this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you this because I had this in my notes on this. Yeah. And this may be due to Layton's inking too, but do you like the way? And it has more to do with his face. Do you like the way the Hulk is drawn? In this, or the way Burn when he Burn took over around issue three hundred when he was doing his little short run on the Hulk, he gave him more of a kind of a cropped hair kind of a. Well, again, when Burn did the Hulk in three fourteen to three nineteen, he was drawing the Hulk that uh, the only one that's really the Hulk to me is the one in three fourteen, and the Hulk from three three fourteen is looks completely different from the one that you get in 315 and on because, you know, he's been separated from Banner and what's there is the mindless aberration. Mm-hmm. It it stands differently. It moves differently than the the Banner Hulk, you know, uh, you know, does. Now, that looks different from this Burn Layton Hulk. There's a boxier look to the head, though I have seen that once before, and that would be in that um, Twinkies ad that Burn did. Mm-hmm. That he did a little bit more, I, I don't want to say house style, but unburnishly looking mm-hmm. Hulk, so that you know he wasn't identified automatically as the as the artist that did that. Well, the Hulk, he it seemed like later when he was doing that, he gave him more of a Neanderthal kind of look, more of a, you know, because the the before the Hulk's always been drawn as just a a big green guy, right? But, um, but even when I think maybe it was a throwback to more Kirby, because Kirby first drawing, he had a little more of a. Apish, kind of a, apish, yeah, kind of a medieval, not medieval, um, uh, Neanderthal kind of a, 
primitive man kind of looked. So maybe that's what uh, that's what he's doing here. But uh, all right, so we get our first page. Uh, Warren is is just you know I guess at this point the champions are over with and he's kind of liquidated everything and he's just chilling out in his in his house watching TV with uh, Candy. And that's when Bobby calls and basically invites himself over. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting that, uh, and I'm not up to date, but isn't currently in the current comics, isn't Bobby gay now? Yeah, Bobby and, okay. and the thing is, is that they've, they've used Bobby's inability to successfully you know, land a girl, a steady girl, as a reason to retroactively you know, retcon him into being, being gay. Gay, yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that comic books as opposed to any other medium does something for us. Um, it shows physical actions and it also shows what's going on in the mind. Mm -hmm. And if you've read any of the, the books that had Bobby Drake over the years, there's not a single writer up until that retcon that had an inkling of the thought of making him gay. Mm -hmm. His thoughts were masculine thoughts. His yeah. thoughts were, you know, there was no overcompensation. There was no, you know, this or that. He was just, you know, a guy that happened to be a mutant that was always trying to get with a girl and not having the luck of it because he had better looking friends. He had friends with more money. He had friends that, you know, whatever, you know, and, and the, the retcon to make him gay. Of course, you know, they retconned him in so many different ways. Now, isn't he able to turn himself purely into water is yeah, he about the most powerful mutant there is he's got yeah he's got all these these extra uh he just apparently been a tap into you know powers he never thought he had and he has a some kind of secondary mutation which i never have liked the secondary mutation i never have liked that no that diamond heart skin that gave emma frost i thought that was stupid um yeah you quote me on that that's a grant morrison when he the one that came up with that uh, was that I, I, it yeah, well, Grant Morrison did the secondary mutation, which, you know, you can't say that on the Beast. This would be a third, yeah. a tertiary <laughs> mutation, because he, he made the Beast more feline. Yeah, I, didn't, I, never, I don't like that. Ne neither did I. And, you know, the thing is, the Beast secondary mutation always made sense because it was an experimentation. It was an accident, you know, yeah, in the it lab. Was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a natural phenomenon. It wasn't – I mean, I, I to me, the, the reason why they gave um, – Emma Frost, her secondary diamond heart skin, was so she could be more of an action, take take place more of an action. Uh, she could get into the action, you know, more. She okay, wasn't just now, a telepath. The thing is, is that uh, if you read the very early, early uh, issues of X-Men, um, the Stan Lee, the Werner Roth issues, there was uh, a guy that they went up against that had some telepathic power, and he was able to make his skin diamond hard. And Cyclops and Professor X fought against him, and Cyclops did something that made the guy shatter. Hmm. But I think that he was supposed to be either her father or some way related to her. Oh. I think that she was a, a throwback, you know, basically doing that, was basically saying, hey, yeah, she's related to this. Yeah, well, that's, that's not like it. I remember yeah, – because I remember reading that in Amazing Adventures, the uh, X, classic X-Men reprints. Hmm. I'm about to look into so, that. I don't, I don't yeah. Um, and the, the thing with the Beast, I just thought they just decided that, okay, let's destroy him more like a cat. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, secondary mutation, yeah, I, I never was a, a big fan of that. You know, the, the thing is is that uh, Grant Morrison did have some interesting ideas then. I mean, I hated what he did to Cyclops. I hate what everybody's done to, to Cyclops since uh, basically issue 200 on up. 
uh, because they, they, they stopped writing Cyclops as who he was. But then again, you know, Cyclops has gone through as much tragedy and suffering as say the Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's going to have an effect on someone, but they just made Cyclops into an ass. Anyway, but they, they, they made Cyclops into a jerk and they, yeah. they, he's not been written properly since, since then uh, as a result. Now, I like a little bit of what they're doing with him in the movies, the the apocalypse. Then, uh, of course, they made him out to be a little bit of a more of a smart aleck. I, I'd like Cyclops to be the stoic um, tactician. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because, you know, when you put him with a good team, he's almost as good as Captain America. Yeah, and they never they never play that up. At least they never did play that up in the movies. And they kind of um, have been playing that down in the books. So, yeah, but at least in, in, in apocalypse, they, they, you know, showed that he does lead, uh, and then maybe not so much during the fight, but before the fight, when he and the others go out and they do what they're doing, he's the one that's basically calling the shots. And yeah. I like Ty Sheridan. Ty Sheridan's a really good actor. Uh, he's got a lot more, um, gravitas than say James Marston did back then when he first got cast as Cyclops. That's not to say I didn't like James Marsden. It's just that they never wrote Cyclops properly in the first X-Men. Well, because those those first movies... Were uh, the Wolverine story. Right. Wolverine was first and foremost in that. So, um, yeah. It's hard to do that with it. Anyway, back to... Well, yeah, what are we talking about? We're talking, we're talking <laughs> about... Uh, yeah. Uh, talking about the Hulk. So, so Bobby invites so, himself over and, and Warren's like, yeah, come on over. Well, they don't know is they're being spied on by Grizzly Adams. That's what the girls call him. Okay, and that's that's my next complaint here on page. Well, complaint. I don't want to say complaint, but it is something I noticed here. Page two, in that small panel on the right side, where he's watching him, and you see the glint from. I guess he's using binoculars, or it's his eyes, or yeah. Well, he's got his hand up there like that, but it, his mouth looks like a human mouth. It looks like it's human colored. And this mm-hmm. is another one of those things. The colorist. It's like it's. This was one of the first pages they got, so they didn't know what they were going to get later. Right. I, I I don't know, and it's like you know maybe I don't know what kind of notes the colorists are ever given, and that would be something interesting. You know, if they ever did like an artist edition of something like this, to be able to see all the stuff that goes on, I'm looking at. And have you heard of the artisan edition of Burns' work that they're going to put out? I've heard of it, yeah, but those are those are pretty pricey, aren't they? Yeah, they're pretty pricey, but I'm I'm going to see if I can find that. Now, my my next question on this page though is um, Worthington standing there holding the phone. Is he actually wearing a swimsuit, or is he wearing the trunks from a superhero costume? I think it's supposed to be like a speedo. I think it's like supposed a, to be yeah, like a swimsuit. Yeah. Okay. It, it's kind of disco. Yeah. Well, it's seventy eight. <laughs> yep. Uh, so they're being spied on by Master Bowl. Who at this point we don't know is Master Bowl. Yeah, and uh, basically Warren's like, yeah, just you know, dig the old uh, Champa car out or what they called it, and <clears throat> you know, and basically he's gonna have they're gonna have company and and like uh, you know, little a little uh, flirting between Candy and Warren there because they've got you know they've got to kill like seventeen hours before they show up, and mm-hmm. then we cut to Camera Base, which is like I said, this ties in nicely with what's been going on in the whole comic. Because mm-hmm. Banner had turned himself in, he'd somehow cured himself of it, turned himself in. As I kind of briefly kind of read through some of his issues coming up to this, oh yeah, he's he somehow cured himself of, he somehow ridded himself of all the gamma radiation in his body, 
and then somehow he 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 had to expose himself to it again, and then it turned him. He basically turned himself into Gamma Base and Doc Samson, and they were trying to Samson because he's a psychologist psychiatrist was trying to merge the personalities of the Hulk, similar to what they did later in the um, Peter David run. When, yeah. Uh, Dale, I think Dale Keown was was, was uh, writing it, drawing it. Yeah, but so that fits in nicely here because that's what's going on, and that's why this reporter here is trying to basically wants to interview interview the Hulk, and and Samson's like, you know, that's stupid. He's he's like a you know he's like a ticking time bomb. You can't just uh, and this guy's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not scared. I can I'm tough. I've been I was in Vietnam, which is kind of a topical reference there. Yep. And then the Hulk Bracy breaks down. The guy just about wets his pants, and <laughs> he's gonna. Um, which I thought was interesting. Without looking, Samson throws him under this truck. So I was like, Samson's got pretty good aim to know where that truck is to get this guy out of you know out of harm's way. Yeah. Now the if you look at that the top of that page right after Samson throws him on the truck, doesn't that Hulk figure look a little inked oddly? It, it's the very top, the top right. Yeah, top top center. Oh, center. Top center. His, head's, his, head, front. his head's a little a little. Uh, Flat? Uh, no, 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 I'm talking about the Hulk image on the top center of page six, the top center panel. Yeah, where he's where he says, where Samson says, now uh, I know you're yeah, upset. Yeah, upset, yeah. It just, the, the Hulk doesn't look right to me. There's something just really odd about it, The the, the just the torso, and then, of course, the arm is huge, which, of course, arm, the Hulk's arms are huge. Yeah. It, it's just a weird perspective thing on my part, I guess. <laughs> But uh, I love how he then proceeds to pound Samson into the ground. Yeah, which I I love that scene. But if the Hulk is pounding you into the ground, your your spine is going to be crushed. I'm sorry. I don't care if you're uh, your gamma uh, charged up or not. I don't think uh, Samson would survive that. I mean, does well, well, we've seen to... we've seen Hulk do this to Samson a couple times, and and, and later Samson yeah. appears to be a lot more durable. And we saw this with She Hulk too, which She Hulk is supposed to be a lesser version of the Hulk. And yet, something about that has, you know, made them so much more durable than seems possible. Well, he does. I guess at one point it looks like he hits him on the head, but then it looks like he's maybe hitting him on the shoulders because he's going yeah. with uh, he's going with two hands until yeah. until Jim shows up and um, because he references how and I and I saw this that that uh, the Hulk had, he's he, the Hulk says he called him stupid. He said no 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 yeah. I was wrong. Um, the Hulk hates that. Yeah. I, I like how Jim, as he's running to the Hulk, this looks almost like a Frank Miller image of Turk <laughs> running into a, a situation. And I'm not saying that just because he's black. It's the 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 way the legs and everything, the way he's got his arms outstretched. Yeah, that whole position screams to me of Turk from Daredevil when Frank Miller was doing the artwork. Mm. That's a run I've never read, and I should probably. There's a in the, one of the very early issues that it wasn't written by Miller; it was actually written by Roger McKenzie. Uh, Daredevil actually has to deal with the Hulk, hmm. and it is by far one of the most realistic dealings with the Hulk I've ever seen. The Hulk is not as massive or as huge as he is here. In fact, if you look on the next page and you see Jim Wilson trying to calm down the Hulk, that shows the difference in size between him and everyone else, and it's just like wow. Well, the Hulk's, you know, sometimes he's a little over six feet, sometimes he's seven feet, sometimes he's nine feet, you know, he's... Um, I, I'd say that's easily seven feet right oh, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Jim's, you know, what, I, I did seven notes, what do you think of uh, Doc Samson's costume? Uh, well, you know, of course, it's reminiscent of the Golden Age Flash. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, for one. And, you know, the, him being as muscular as he is and with the hair that he's got, that's very 70s, almost the Billy Batson from the TV series, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's it's silly. But, you know, again, it's that era of Marvel and, you know, it was that kind of, you know, you go into it. Now, the the costume that he would ultimately get from Byrne later at the time came out was kind of cool. You look at it now and you're just like, what the heck? That, you know, it's almost like Rob Liefeld with all the pockets. That and red, uh, was it kind yeah, of a red, kind of a... Late 90s, early, late 80s, early 90s, you know, pockets everywhere and, and all well, that stuff. That, kind of a dominatrix kind of thing. It's the word I was trying to think. Yeah, it's, okay. It's yeah, that's, yeah, S&M <laughs> sort of trip. Yeah, an S&M. I, I love this costume, and I understand why, because I know when he became, you know, he was this meek scientist, and he becomes Doc Samson, and he thinks, well, uh, this is how superheroes dress, and he comes up with this kind of outlandish, garish costume. I love it. I just think it, I've never well, yeah, seen yeah, and the logic of it, Doc Samson, yeah. Samson, the, yeah. the, 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 the hair, the, you know, all that. No, it, it makes sense. I mean, it doesn't make him look, would you call it Roman? But you're talking about the, the Shazam yeah. uh, costumes. And I, I like it better than, I don't know what he's wearing now. but um. Yeah, well, I think that you could do an update of this costume and make it look pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Easily. again, it, it all comes out down to how, how you update it for today's audience and what you do with that hair. Dear <laughs> goodness, that hair. Uh, but yeah. But no, well, Samson's Samson's a cool figure yeah. to, to put into a story because he's you know you, you know he and Colossus are almost interchangeable though Colossus is definitely much stronger much stronger yeah uh, okay Jim comes up and I've got did did he not contract AIDS that's what I was going to bring up I think when during the, the David run when mm-hmm. Hulk was with the I think it was when he was with the Pantheon right he there's a scene where Jim gets his hands cut or something and Rick is afraid to. Touch him because he's yeah. got AIDS, and, and the Hulk finally says, "Well, you know, it's not going to affect me." So he he picks him up and he guess goes and gets some some medical care. But yeah, that was a that was a, a point where I guess he I don't know if they, I don't remember the story if he if he had revealed that he had AIDS, but that was a, certainly a, a point in the book that yeah yeah he they did reveal that he had that. The question was I don't remember if you know he died or got cured or or whatever. I don't know. So I don't see, know. now I'm going to have to go back and, and look into that. Never, I don't think I ever finished that, that Pantheon run where David was writing it. Yeah, you're 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 a homeowner, right? Yeah, Tim, mm-hmm. you're you you've entertained guests at yes. home. Yes. And when you've done so, have you ever greeted them standing there in no shirt and just a towel over your neck? Well, my notes I said if you've got wings, I guess wearing a shirt is kind of optional. I mean. You're, you're gonna yeah. have to have custom shirts made all the time. So if you can just walk around without a shirt on, then just yeah, walk, yeah. Well, walk. I mean, Hawkman rarely wears a shirt. Uh, so yeah, no, no. <laughs> he, he just has those bands that go over his shoulders and whatnot. Well, I mean, Candy is not. She's still in her, I guess, her swimsuit when she's meeting him. And then, of course, Terry is immediately. And we kind of find out that she kind of sound sounds like she kind of wormed her way into this being invited out here. Maybe she talked Bobby into it because she wanted to meet. Warren. Yeah. She basically, yeah. Her, her jaw drops, and she's like, you know, she's immediately got the hots for for Angel. Yeah, but but before that, though, what do you think of that that car that they're? I mean, that's the champions' flying car. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's funny when I'm sitting there reading later comic books, vehicles like this kind of went by the wayside. The vehicles with the open tops, oh, the open top, and all that. I mean, you you saw the the Fantastic Force flying bathtub, mm-hmm. of course, but 
you know, later vehicles were all closed-in vehicles and, you know, not so... I guess, you know, this is very spaceship-looking and it's got the hover, hover the VTOL uh, stuff built into it. But I, I think it looks cool here. It does. I mean, it looks very... This is a, a piece that I think looks very, like, uh, latent tech. Mm-hmm. And, and it looks very Jetson-like, too. <laughs> Jetson-like. Okay. <laughs> I like that. That's, yeah. that's good. So... So Warren is basically, you know, and he and he's not really flirting back with with um, Terry, but she's obviously just fawning all over him. And Bobby's like, uh, you know, uh, you know, he's like, well, you know, I guess I lost another girl to Warren. This this was a big brother moment mm-hmm. in in my, in my opinion. This is you know Warren basically showing him, look, you're too good for this girl. She is not, you know, she's here for all the wrong reasons, and I'm going to show you why. Yeah, and it can, and Katie kind of sees through her too. She kind of sees that. But what's funny is Warren goes along with it. He, yeah, you know he, while you know Master Mold is is making his way down the mountain. You know they're all in the pool, and all she's doing she's having she's having paying attention to Bobby. She's completely ignoring him. Right, but that but that's my point. You know, Warren basically he knows what's going on here, and he is basically showing Bobby this girl is not good for you. Okay, I see. So he's do, you think he's doing it on purpose to show her. That to show how, Bobby, yeah, and she's and Bobby himself says she's a little immature, right? You know? Sure, she's a little mature, you know. Yeah, but you know, as far as he's concerned, she's hot. But see, Candy's not even bothered by any of this at all. No, she's she's and because she knows what's going on. Yeah, and it, and it's funny is that I like that scene where where in the background you can see Angel's look like he's spreading his wings and Terry's kind of feeling his, yeah, feeling <laughs> yeah feeling feeling his wings, you know. But, okay, so Grizzly Adams, you know uh, that outfit that he's wearing. What the heck? I mean, why, I don't, I don't understand why that, why he's wearing that unless he killed a trapper out mm-hmm. in the woods and he just took his clothes. But what? So, yeah, it's just, it's just very, very unusual. And um, but still, you know, again, uh, yeah, it, 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 it lends to the mystery of the story because at this point you don't realize who it is. But that, yeah, I was just like, what is up with the, the oh, Grizzly okay, Adams that, outfit? Okay, but so that explains, it works with the story. to let So we don't know who this is. Right. It explains, okay, he's got a rifle. He doesn't really need the rifle. Right. He doesn't need the clothing. Uh, and how he can compact himself down to a man-sized form, I don't know. It's not really revealed, but. No, it didn't. And that was the other thing. I did, I was not aware. And again, I, I the thing is, I've read the I've read all of the X Men issues from one on up, but you know, a lot of that still was sketchy to me. I think I was more scanning them than reading them. Yeah, I mean, you it, know, it talks about he has some kind of self repair mechanism, but mm-hmm. this is a little. Uh, and why why not show up in his true form? I mean, why not? I mean, it, it adds to this. Like I said the mystery of the story. But they don't know who it is, and it has a it, it creates a nice reveal. Yeah, when um, when he comes down and just starts blasting him, and he's you know he says that um, uh, you know and the, the girls upstairs, and of course stupid Terry's like, no, no, we're gonna stay and fight. And Kenny's like, no, you idiot, you know, we're just gonna get in the way. So I thought it was nice that it looks like Warren's got some steel shutters. Yeah, you know that's the in. other funny thing because you know, uh, Candy thinks to herself, if Bobby is who I think he is, but in X Men: The Hidden Years, she knows who he is. Yeah, somebody brought that up that he already knew, and that and my question was, I didn't know if he, if his identity was actually, obviously the angels was not a secret identity at this point. No, yeah, angel was public. Yeah, uh, and then 
so Bobby freezes the guy up, and he didn't, um, of course, and he blasts himself out. And then the first time you get to see his face, you realize that this is wait, not a human. So wait, 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 back up just a second on page nine there. What is that gun? Because it doesn't seem to be a, a regular it's some kind rifle. of bla- it's some kind of a blaster. I don't know what he's shooting. Some kind and of and it looks like it looks like a harpoon. Yeah, but he's he's bl- he's he's using some kind of a. And then he ditches it right away because as soon as yeah. you know he you know he doesn't need it. He's got he's got his yeah. he's blasting his, out in his hands. Yeah. yeah, and that's when the angel, which and I also had a note is you know is the angel strong enough to break a uh, break a diving board? That's that's. As far as I know, he only has well, normal there's human a couple, strength. There's a couple stretches I see with the angel in this book, though. No, though my, my thing to those is you see the that second panel on page 10 when you see that that face of the, the master mold. The first time I read this, do you remember the first time you read this? Uh, when I did this, when I got ready for this show. It's the first time I read this. So. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think I own it. A while back. And I remember when I saw that, I was like, Oh, this is so cool. <laughs> Cause that was like, that was something I, I just was not expecting. And so when I saw that, I said, is this a sentinel? It's too small mm. to be a sentinel. Looks, and so, yeah. you know, it, 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 you know, I mean, it just looks, uh, looked really cool. But then again, this story promised so much and it was coming from so many different directions to see that just, uh, yeah, that was, I, I was ready for something. But as far as Warren being, being strong enough to break a diving board, uh, if it was a pure fiberglass board, he might be able to do it, but he couldn't do it while flying. He'd no. have to leverage himself on something. Yeah. And Bobby, uh, you know, he knocks the guy. Well, the sound when he hits him, it clang. So that Bobby realizes that oh, the guy's wearing body armor. So he falls into the pool and Bobby freezes him. My question is, do you get the impression the guy's head is above water? Or does Bobby think he is freezing this guy solid and killing him? Because at this point, they think he may be... Not say a robot, but he may be just a metahuman or or an uh, enhanced human, but wearing body armor. But it seems to me that Bobby thinks he is. I don't can't tell if the guy's head's above water, so he can still. It breathe. looks like it looks like the head, or at least the hat. Yeah, the head. I mean, fell you off see the him. hat. You see, it, yeah, the hat came off, but you see the the last image there. It looks like his head is partially above the yeah, ice. Otherwise, otherwise he'd be suffocating him. But I, I I don't know that Bobby's ever had that code. I don't know. I mean, I would think that he wouldn't. There was, there, you know, if it's Wolverine, I could think, yeah. But and then, mm. uh, then Master Mold makes his big reveal, grows to his full thirty feet or fifty height, however he is. And that's just a great, a great shot. Though the color really throws me off. Yeah, the the it would be a lot nicer if he was standard uh, Sentinel color. And then mm-hmm. that uh, page fourteen, I love the splash page. I love the yeah uh, the detail in the ice. I love the detail of the little detail in the, his fingers as he's reaching yeah. for Angel. The only thing it really is off is the coloring, but other than that, this is just a gorgeous page. Right, right. That is fantastic. And, yeah, the hands as it's outstretched mm-hmm. there. And, of course, the, the mouth with the with the mech yeah. inside the mouth is, is, you know, it's always... Why do the lips move if it's just speakers in there? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if, that's, if it's ever meant to look like it's moving or maybe, if maybe it's meant to be... Or just stays open all the time. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit like Doctor Doom's mask. He always has some kind of tech behind his his opening. So the angel gets away. That look okay. On top of page fifteen, the angel is slipping through his fingers. Mm-hmm. What is that on the upper left shoulder, right below this balloon box, the balloon uh, word balloon? What is that? Yeah, is that um, just is this rubble flying away? Yeah, I think it, okay. I think it's 
you know, because there's ice that's already flying away from down below. It, yeah. It doesn't, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't tell what that is. It looks a little dark. And then Bobby does a, which I thought is more of a human torch type thing where he's trying to absorb all of the heat. Yeah, from the air. And that air. actually is his downfall. Yeah. And again, that's the the, the scene where the, the Sentinel's holding him up like that is very Neil Adams-y. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Very. It reminds me a little bit of that same, that same, uh, almost the same panel from Ant-Man when uh, Cross Cross is picking up Ant-Man with the tweezers. Remember? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. And then Master Mold just has, I guess, little pockets. He just has little containment uh, pouches inside his chest where he can uh, he stores Bob, stores Bobby away. And then the angel takes off because he wants to lead them away from the girls. So of course. He can, you know, Sentinels can fly after him, and this is where he comes up with the idea of of uh, luring him to to the um, to Gamma Base, where he knows the Hulk is, because he just saw that. Okay, I, I got a question about that. Um, you know, after I read this, I went and looked back at Ohatmu. Let me guess: how fast can the angel fly? How fast can the angel fly? How strong is he? You know, all that. You know, now there's a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, angel's bones are hollow, mm-hmm, like a bird. Like a bird. Uh, and also like, uh, what was the name of that lucky character? Longshot. Yeah. Um, so he's lighter and that allows him to, to, to fly uh, more easily. Um, so I don't know that his bones are any any stronger th- or weaker than the humans. But without the, the fortification of marrow in there, I think the bones wouldn't necessarily be as strong. Could be wrong on that. Maybe it makes him stronger as a result. But uh, it said his maximum speed was like 150 miles per that's, hour. That's what I seem to remember from Ohatmu, and he's traveling. Well, he says, he says, you know, Greenskin's just the one to handle this. I can be at Gamma Base in minutes, but he just said before it's 100 miles downrange. Yeah. yeah, so that's... So 150 miles an hour going to 100 miles is still going to take a, a while. Yeah. And I don't know how... The Sentinel's got jets, so the question is how fast can the Sentinel go? I don't know. I, I thought that was... Uh, I mean, I know they have to explain that he's in wherever he's in the Rocky mountains and, and um, gamma bases in New Mexico. Right. Right. So just have him, I don't know why he has to think he has to be there uh, in minutes. Even if he really pours it on, I don't care how fast he's pouring it on. I don't think he can make, <laughs> yeah. he can make it. That well, the, the question is how fast is he actually going here? How fast do they think he's going here? I think that they've kind of, and this is one of those things that, that burn is a champion of. He doesn't mind these kind of inconsistencies. He he actually, uh, I think, was not a big fan of Ohatmu quantifying everybody's powers. Right. Because you remember the whole discussion we had about Sasquatch's strength. Mm-hmm. You know that that you know in the book that it showed that he'd lifted 250 tons when you know Ohatmu says he can only lift 100 tons. Well, I don't mind. I don't. I don't mind that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I like Ohatmu kind of explaining things, but it doesn't. I mean, if, if well, we it, weren't kind of. Com- Kind of. All, all it really does is it tells you this guy right here is stronger than this guy, right? Or this guy here is faster than this guy. But I think it, it you know, always hurt characters like Angel or Quicksilver, because it says that Quicksilver would never ever be, uh, you know, as fast as say the Flash. Flash runs either speed of light or speed of sound depending on which iteration you're, you're reading, whereas Quicksilver can only go up to 180 miles per hour. I thought he could, I thought he could reach Mach 1. Well, this is, again, what Ohatmu is, is yeah. telling us. Yeah. You know, 
Ohatmu's quantifies it all, and so therefore by quantifying it, it limits them. Well, I knew the Quicksilver was never uh, on level with the Flash. Yeah. You know, not that kind of... And when they did that Avengers um, Justice League series, the one that uh, Kurt Busiek and George Perez did, uh, they you know they definitely said that's the case. You know, Quicksilver just is nowhere near the Flash's no, class. No, no, no. no. I, don't think anybody, I don't think there's anybody yeah. short of Silver Surfer in, in the Marvel Universe that's kind of that that level of a speedster. Right. I mean, I don't think even Aurora and Northstar, I think they can reach Mach 1 or 2, but... Right. And see, that that the speed that Angel's flying there, that looks to me like what you would see from Aurora and Northstar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not something that, you know, would would, would you know be 150 miles per hour. So, I, I, like, again, I think that this book just stretched the, the boundaries of what Angel's right. abilities are. Right. So, he... Uh, now, but, but before you go on page 17 down at the bottom, you got that guy at Gamma Air mm-hmm. Control. Yeah. All that tech that surrounds him. I mean, he is just surrounded by all this stuff. Okay, again, that, that one grid thing, is that green grid, that's the floor, isn't it? I don't know if that's the floor. Sometimes the, that, that you'll see is burned like uh, he does that. It looks like, like a keyboard. Yeah. Sometimes. But yeah, but I think that's just I think it's the floor around him. But you've got all these different scanners and bat it looks like bat devices, the bat computer <laughs> and other thing around him. But it's it's a great way of making some sort of control tower. Yeah, he's just he's bored, but then he's like, Oh, this is you know, this is a the what is this, the bum assignment. Nothing ever exciting happens. And of course the uh the Sentinel shows up, they scramble uh, scramble a couple of fighters. I love the way the Sentinel's flying, though. All mm-hmm. the different flying poses that they've showed the Sentinel and have been pretty pretty darn cool. This is a lot. With this Sentinel, he does a lot of kind of 3D type, kind of coming at you. Yeah, and, but again, screen. again, the, the one on page 18 looks very Neil Adams-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing it does is that he's not doing the way Neil Adams is. He's not uh, doing a lot of breaking of the borders or doing right. a lot of like Dutch angles and stuff. But, right. Um, so that sets off the alarms, and of course, Doc Samson's like, oh no, you're going to wake the Hulk up again. It's like, I just put him down. Don't wake him up. And then they see the angel. I guess the angel looks, looks absolutely exhausted. And I guess Doc Samson knows who he is, so maybe probably from the champions. Then that's when the Sentinel just shows up and just starts firing on people. You know, stuns him, and then Doc Samson's like, you know, well, you can't do that, you know. And that does wake the Hulk up, and Samson's, Samson's is getting his kind of his, his butt handed to him throughout this whole episode. Yeah. This whole issue with a Katoom. Oh, a Kathum. He's thrown across the, uh, uh, yeah. across the yard. Kathum. Kathum. Kathum, yeah. Though we had a Voom earlier when he shot the blast down to take take care of Angel. And we had uh, a Voom, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so the Hulk does wake up, and he's putting Angel away. You know, he's packing him away in his little uh, security in his chest. Um, and he's... He says, stay out of little man. He goes, you know, does not concern you. And, of course, that just makes the Hulk even matter. And he sort of starts wailing, wailing on his leg. And it's, I love he just kind of kicks him into the side of the building. Kroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that is, that's one of the funniest moments in the <laughs> book to me. Um, and, and I didn't, I, tr- I tried to find out why this, why the Hulk says he's mad. And he goes, you know, uh. First Hulk's, you know, first robot smashes Hulk, then robot tries to smash Hulk, and Hulk is wet again. That yeah. seems like that's a reference to something else. I don't, I couldn't find any, any reference as to why he would say the Hulk is wet again. Yeah, um, that's interesting, but still, I can understand why he'd be upset. Yeah, 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 he'd be <laughs> upset. 
So, you know, and so he, you know, he does what the Hulk always does. You know, he, he overreacts and he jumps after him. And, of course, Samson tries to, to stop him. And, of course, Samson can't jump as high. And he just winds up doing a probably a huge arc and crashes back into the, uh, in somewhere in the base. With a mighty thud. Yep. And <laughs> pulls himself out of the, and, and this character, this, the, the General Ross had been injured uh, previously because he says this was um, Hulk 226. The Hulk had knocked him over and I think he had had a concussion or something. Yeah. So he was just coming out. So that kind of ties in with uh, where this is. And that kind of, because up till then, up until now, the, when you first started reading it, you know, the Hulk's not in this a lot. He's in it, but it's more of an Angel Iceman story, Sentinel right. story. Right. And now Gamma Base is kind of, they're done and everything else takes place, takes place up in space. I love the shot, bottom of 24. Yeah. The Sentinel's going out and the Hulk's holding on to him there. Well, you know? I, the thing is I love is that the Hulk is passed out, but because of the way he has bended the metal that he's gripped onto, yeah, his hand is basically stuck yeah. in the Sentinel. Otherwise he'd be gone. And I love this splash page, the 25 with the, the, the Sentinel coming in, flying in kind of like, uh, Okay, is, is that the Earth from night side or is that the moon that it's in front of? Or, I, I mean, is what, that just... I don't know what that is. That's the, the moon. The, the, it think. looks like Kirby Crackle. And boy, if it's the moon and they're that far out, that, that leaves a lot of questions for later. Well, it says it's in Earth's gravity well, so it's somewhere... So it's got to be closer to that. That's probably Earth's night side, if anything, because there's yeah. too many rounded edges. Uh, unless you, you're just trying to show the magnetic barrier. I don't know. I don't know if that's supposed to. Yeah, well, I want to be purple because when he's leaving on page 24, the Earth is green and the Moon is a kind of purple gray. Yeah. And now this. And he's is not. He's not going gray. anywhere near the Moon, too. No, no. And I think this asteroid is supposed to be something that he rebuilt after he escaped from the other asteroid. From X Men One Hundred, which he'll explain later when he's um. Yeah, you think Magneto would have seen this? I thought about it. when I first read this. I said, "Is that Asteroid M?" It's like how many how many floating asteroid bases do we have? Well, <laughs> you know, also there's probably that that asteroid base from Superman Number One up there. Oh no, that's many years later. But yeah, I still love this shot though. Um, of the asteroid base and, and and that behind it and all that. It's just gorgeous. I love how he's done this full blast of his, you know, of the feet. The boots, right? yeah. yeah. The boots. I love how he's got his arms outstretched because that just fits into the frame nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, asteroid is very, it's very Bob Layton tech-like. Um, and it looks a little, a little bit like Carmen Infantino. Infantino is his tech. Yeah, I can see that from the... the, the Star Wars t- stuff he did. Yeah, the the top stuff and the bottom stuff on the base and the the, the things the phalanges sticking out, not yeah. Regina, but just the phalanges, yeah, <laughs> sticking out. Uh, though you, you're wondering what those are. One of them's got some bright light on it, and the other one looks yeah, like a gun. Yeah, I don't know what that is. It's just it's just tech, I guess. Mm-hmm. And where's that radar dish pointing towards? It, it looks like it's going out to deep space. Uh, so then on page twenty six, they uh, the angels slowly kind of these get them in these. And that's a, that's a recre mm-hmm. a direct recreation mm-hmm. from the from the Adams issues. Yeah, that's what that stance looked exactly like that. Yep. And I thought it's cool that the uh, he puts the Hulk, I guess, in the the largest container he had, which was for the blob. Yeah. And this is the first time that they get a sense that uh, is he when he tells them basically, you know, you're you know, I've got you, and you're gonna, you're, you're, you're gonna go anywhere. Is the right part of your page cut off? Because to the right of the Hulk, there's something there that says M.A., but the page 
seems to be cut off a little early. Even the word blurbs down yeah. at the bottom. Yeah, it is. I don't. I can't tell. Uh, can't tell what that would be. That would be. And, this, uh, and then we see, of course, the unusual aspect of the sentinel laughing. Yeah, and that's what throws Bobby off. I want his. Uh, I wonder why his. Why do you think his word balloons are colored yellow? Are they yellow in yours? Yeah. Maybe that's just to emphasize that uh, you know that the you know, sentinels, I guess, are supposed to be emotionless. And then he realizes that the Hulk's starting to wake up. And the Hulk doesn't like being in a tube, which is yeah, I, don't know I, love the way he's, I love the way he's drawn that the Hulk won't even fit in the blob tube. Hey, keep it on the road. We're in the tubes back here. Yeah. He's, he's all scrunched up. Yeah. Yeah. He, just he gets out pretty easily. Tears out and then lets his other guys out and then just does what the Hulk does. He just starts breaking down yeah. doors, starts smashing stuff. And the artwork in all these pages here is just gorgeous from from moment one. Um, I love the, and again I'm I'm jumping ahead, but yeah, I mean the whole page twenty seven takes you right through what what's happening. You don't even have to read the the dialogue to know what's going on there. Nope, it's true. And that's good storytelling. I could you yeah. can tell you could read this without word balloons. Yeah, and then on page thirty. When they're standing in the middle and they're all talking about it and they realize that they're in space, that shot is just gorgeous. That should be, in my mind, a bigger shot than what it is there. But, you know, you can tell that Leighton did the inks on this uh, in the way that, you know, he put the space and the mm-hmm. thing there. Again, you see now maybe that's part of the asteroid cropping out or is that a planet that's close by? I think that's the asteroid cropping out, though. Probably. It's the same color as the asteroid. But I like how the, the, the base itself looks like a base without being, you know, you, you're not sure. Is that all metal? Is it plastic walls? Is it aluminum or whatever? It doesn't have that all metal look to it, mm. though. So it could be could be anything. And it, that he realizes that it's built. Um, he says he Bobby wonders why the place was so big. Because it's built for, like, a 30-foot robot. It's not. Right. It's not built for. Because. Um, of course, I don't know where Warren, when he's flying around, he says, hey, the technology in this place is unbelievable. And he says, that's a power core for a fusion reactor. Maybe that's just to let us know that that's does that scene, does, it, does that shot there remind you of anything? Because that makes me think of the original Galactus trilogy and, and Johnny Storm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like what I was thinking. So, <clears> and <throat> then the, the sequence at the bottom reminds me of Days of Future Past, except... Uh-huh. Instead of Wolverine and Colossus and Storm, it's Hulk and Bobby coming in there. Yeah. Well, that's a very kind of Galactus-like pose with him kind of standing up there working, oh, his, yeah. working his machines and whatever he's trying to that. pinpoint, whatever he's doing there. It's like he's pinpointing Montana, maybe. Yeah, but it, Iceman's face looks very latent-y mm-hmm. there in, in the middle pa- middle part of the yeah. page. Exactly. God, I love this. And then uh, and the, the, the Iceman's trying to keep the, you know, basically trying to, they, they, they find out he's got a, a, a cerebro-type machine, so I guess he's going to try to target um, all the mutants so he can basically go and capture them. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the Hulk's like, okay, well, you know, uh, the, Hulk, the Hulk doesn't know subtle. So no. <laughs> Bobby's like, got to keep quiet. And he's like, no, 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 you know, the Hulk doesn't need to help because he to fight. And I love he's with his momentum is just, again, with these great kind of distorted angles where he's yeah. smashing him into the... With a big crash into the into his viewing screen, and the Hulk just starts tearing into him. I love that shot on the bottom screen with the Hulk's hand going up into mm-hmm. the previous frame, and you can see the 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 
whatever it is there in the palms of the, the yeah, Sentinel's that's hand. like where he, that's where he I think blasted whatever he is he's, he blasts him with yeah whatever it is he's shooting he's gas or flame or whatever yeah. yeah and the next page he does blast him yeah and he's I love God it's gorgeous it's just beautiful and then another that, one where he rips whole, up his yeah he looks like he's, he's either ripping up the floor or he's ripping up part of his boot yeah. But that look on the Hulk's face there on on the bottom page, page thirty five. That's a that's a great that's a Just great. I love the detail in, in the hands the and the th- nose. It's in it's inhuman because the rage is just getting to him. Mm-hmm. That yeah that and is the Hulk, great. You know nothing stronger than the Hulk. That's that's the Hulk. Then he does that great leap, and then of course the Sentinel. And at this point, the Sentinel's getting a little. He's getting a little worried. You know, Master Mode is like he's blasting with a million volts. Yeah, unbridled energy. And of course, the lo- I love how the Hulk's hair standing on the end. The Kirby crackle all mm-hmm. around. That's great, Kirby but, crackle. But is it, do you have a printing issue there in the A on Zap, z- yeah, zap and, like and goes down a, to the arm? Yeah, yeah. it's like a, a blue mark or something. Yeah, just down there. And it, and it's, it's great when in the next scene when he sees the Hulk, you can see this damage on the back of the uh, of the Master Mold's uh, on his back. Yeah, he's been ripped out, and he you know he's he's just realizing that you know this guy's uh you know the Hulk's still breathing. That's when Bobby decides. Well, you know, decides to uh, call him out and says, "You know, what okay, the devil are you? Time, time to explain who you are." Then he goes on to say that he's the he's Stephen Lang who took over. If I remember Stephen Lang right, he took over from Trask. Trask, and he rebuilt the Sentinels and I guess improved them. And he also they don't. I don't think in from look at those X Men stories, you don't see Master Mold in those stories. I don't think he just rebuilt Sentinels when. Um, that's that kind of leads right into the the Phoenix well, storyline. Yeah, this is all from the the Cockrum stuff. Yeah, yeah. When uh, when uh, that leads right into Jean Grey becoming Phoenix. Yeah, and of course you know this is behind the scenes stuff that you know they thought he was dead and that he managed to make the Master Mold and transfer his brain into uh, and on the bottom of page thirty seven is a very trippy kind of um, almost Ditko like uh, panel Recap. where. Yeah, where you've got the eyes, you've got that. It's his brain, but it looks like he's got an afro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, it may, makes me think of uh, Warlock, Adam Warlock, almost. Yeah, and how he, uh, you know, he basically transferred his brain. His, uh, he kind of did a uh, Roger Corby. He transferred his brain into a robot. I am Roger Corby. Yeah. Um, now look at the look at the top of the next page. And this is one of them. I, I don't know what makes this page, this right here, so much detail on the angel's face and everything with the shadow mm-hmm. and, and everything. That is so. It is that, that is, is so cool. That is great. And on what is okay? Look behind the master mold where he says that cannot be. What is, is that? A TV screen that's got a little figure in there. What is that? No, that's Iceman standing down there. Oh, that's okay. All, oh, okay, yeah, that's, he's that further. He's that much further away. Okay. Yeah, and then the Hulk is on the floor in front of him. And another one of these great uh, kind of upshots where the Hulk is just with a thakum and just, just tears apart his, uh, just smashes his boot. And yeah. that's when, uh, I love this <laughs> next scene up here. It's just the Hulk's hands. And he says, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Angel says, I think I'm going to be sick because he basically is gutted Master Mold. Yeah. I love that, and I love the. It's funny because the expression on Master Mold's faces have reminded me almost of the uh, Demon Despair, mm-hmm. uh, and and right there with him, you know, shadowed out, it, it, it makes me think of Despair again. But yeah, that's just that. That's yeah. I think I'm going to be sick. 
But uh, the Master Mold starts rebuilding himself. And, of course, this is all the escape part, and I love that. But you notice how they got the Master Mold on the monitor on page 42, and it looks like he's got a big mustache, like a Sinestro kind of mustache. <laughs> so what I'm saying is on page 42, you know, as they're get, trying to get into the escape capsule, they see the Master Mold on the monitor, and it looks like he's got a mustache on him there, like like like, like Sinestro or someone, you know? <laughs> he does. Or it's like he's maybe the mouth is moving and he's shouting because he's so he's so angry. Yeah, uh, and they get into a you know little Star Wars reference here where they're getting into the uh, the escape pod even looks like. Um, yeah. Okay. Here's a question: Why would if if Master Mold built this station Secret himself? Station. It didn't exist. He built it from the what other asteroid. Why would he have human sized escape pods? Going to this. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, it's Master Mold who's yeah. sa- here to save humans from the mutant menace. Maybe, maybe that's, so that's the case. There is that, and you know, every now and then he's going to need a human to go down in somewhere and fix something. I don't know. It's just you know, a, my uh, no prize explanation. On pay, bottom of forty-two, where the Hulk, when the Angel is trying to basically explain to the Hulk, you know, we got to get out of here, and uh, and the Hulk's like, Nah, I'm not going anywhere. He's going to smash the robot again. The Hulk's face, I got a note that looks like, have you seen Team America? Yes. Does that not look like the Matt Damon puppet? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Matt Damon. Damon. <laughs> okay. Well, and the thing is, that thing, hit, the, the snowball hitting the Hulk on the side of the face, it's evocative of a scene in another burned book, and I'm just trying to remember what it is. I, can't, I, I just can't remember what it is. Yeah, uh, it's a, a little of... wet something hinting, hitting someone on the side of the face, but I, I can't remember what it is. Though yeah, uh, I can't think I'm, what it is either. But yeah, it did get them. You get the Hulk angry enough to kick them back to Earth. Wow, uh, this is really interesting. On page forty-three, the middle panel where the Hulk is kicking it away. Look at his hair, and doesn't that look like a picture was put on top of something? A uh... picture of somebody with green hair. It, it almost it, it rather than being drawn. Time at the uh, the bottom forty three on the left where he says Hulk must hold breath. Uh, no, where he says then go on on forty three. Oh, just yeah, that pan, his hair right there it looks yeah. almost like a picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But it's nice. It's, I don't think anything is drawn, but it's nicely. It looks um, so real. Yeah, and I love the, the the way he's drawn in that bottom one. That was referring to where his hair is. You can see the 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 wind escaping, and it's just yeah. kind of blowing past. Explosive decompression and yeah, I love where he's holding his breath breath, too. That that last panel, but yeah, they're definitely getting away from something, and they don't seem to be going back towards Earth. There's a big moon around us that we're not aware of, apparently. Apparently, (laughs) or that's the way he that's the way we see the uh, see the Earth. Uh, It's gorgeous, though. Yeah, and I I didn't until I read this, but the second third time, I realized that Bobby is. He's either trying to keep the capsule cool, which I think yeah. is angels with ice, and maybe also trying to, to uh, um, cushion him. Because uh, it's a great shot of the, the, the that progressively closer splashdown until he hit the water. And I love that kind of... You see this a lot with Burn. It, it's not Kirby Crackle, but the way he draws water. Yeah. It looks almost like Kirby Crackle. Yeah. No, my question, though, is how can Iceman actually do that in the capsule if he is working solely off the moisture in the air? Air? There's not going to be that much moisture in there, is there? Well, I mean, the thing is, if he is working out of of a lot of the moisture, he's going to be actually sucking the oxygen from the air. If there are any other gases there, an angel wouldn't be able to breathe. 
Oh, that's a technicality. That's a technicality. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm really reaching on that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, still, it looks cool. And it is the smartest way to try to get them to survive. And yeah, the whole that whole thing, it looks like a comet coming in. Mm-hmm. I love that shot. And then when they finally get out on this uh, iceberg that kind of bobbies, and then they see the um, explosion. Explosion. That's, that's again, that's great burn. That looks like burn energy. You know, that's yeah, his, with his, the, with, his version of Kirby Crackle. Yeah. No, that's pretty cool. But how did the Hulk land in the same spot? You know, it's just, that was really, really lucky. This he's got some kind of unnatural ability to home in on where he was created in New Mexico. Yeah. So. But man, when the Hulk grabs onto that, that should have like tumped over to one side. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would have tipped. Yeah, they would have, yeah. they would have, they would have. Because um, when he jumps away in the next page, you know, it, it, it tips. <laughs> yeah. Well, they probably would have broken it if he jumped away. <laughs> but. Well, um, it looks like actually some of it did break off. Yeah. With with a thum, a nice mm. thum, and then on the, the, the that last panel, Iceman's facial expression is very unburn like. Mm-hmm. But then again, Iceman is something that that Burn has always complained about how he draws him. He you know he just never felt like he had him downright because yeah, right. well, you know, he's trying to figure out that with the ice or the snow or you know is it going to shift back and forth and angular expressions and whatnot. You know it's yeah. yeah. But you think he would make a uh, a cracking noise every time because his ice would be constantly cracking. So every time he moved, you think that ice would be cracking and refreezing. Re- right, right. Do you get the feel at the end of this when he says, okay, you know, we get to find out uh, if Terry Sue gets, uh, oh, it's, I thought that's just a little, uh, we, let's see, speaking of places uh, in the sun, we better get back to the mountains ourselves. Uh, we still have time to find out if Terry Sue gets off on ice. That's a little for more of a kid-friendly book, and think it's a little. No, that's a that's a, a very late seventies kind of. Yeah. You know, getting off wasn't necessarily talking about. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, orgasmic experiences. <clears throat> <laughs> but uh, yeah. And well, Bobby's this this what this end needs is the um, oh they were played at the end of uh, Trek original series you know that little lighthearted kind of. Yeah, exactly. That's what this. That's what this. Uh, this end needs when Bobby's like, you know, oh great, you know, what, what am I gonna do? Yeah. But overall, what do you think? I mean, we've already kind of talked about it, but this. This was just a super fun, gorgeously drawn book. This. Is, this is you know from the Marvel Age of Comics. It is that that period where everything was interconnected. It's what we love about the movies today. That. Anything and anyone can pop up in any anything. If you've watched that new uh, Infinity War trailer, mm-hmm. and you see that how they're you know they've got the Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man and Spider Man and Doctor Strange and everybody's all together and and they're they're conversing. You're like, I never thought I would see this happen, and we're doing this every year now. Yeah, yeah. And but this was this was how it was. This was there, there were books there were super team you know team ups super villain team ups that is and there was unlikely heroes all thrown together in groups like the champions and and you know in fantastic four you could sit there and see guest star luke cage was a member of the fantastic four you know the 70s was the marvel age of comics in such a way that things were happening that you just never would never know what was who's going to get teamed up or whatever and it's what brought about that you know the more more common trope in later books of 
heroes getting together, fighting, and then finally deciding, no, we need to fight against the bad guy. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just, it, this epitomizes what was great about that age. And this epitomizes what we should be experiencing in the books now, because we're getting it in the movies. Well, they were, I mean, I know they were just, they were making a living, but they seem to be concerned more with story, character, and great artwork. And, and I would say even current comics, the artwork is not, hasn't, hasn't lagged any, but it seemed to me they're only, they seem to be concerned about large events. That's all they, the big books are, at least Marvel and selling books. They, they're, they're constantly trying to chase, trying to get that, the reader, the readership back and try to improve sales. And mm-hmm. no what they do, it's not going to happen. They can't, so they, that's why everything gets renumbered as number one. They, even though they say we're not doing any more major events, they keep doing these big major crossovers, trying to, you know, and, you know, they've got uh, alternate covers. I mean, a big book will come out and it'll have 25 alternate covers. Yeah. That's where they get to make it money. It's, it still works. It, that still works in, in generating sales on those things. And they've got, you know, these, in, what they call incentive covers. Mm-hmm. So if a comic book shop sells X copies of something, they'll get this incentive cover that's very rare, that's going to be worth a lot of money down the road, hopefully. Well, they know, have, it, yeah, they have to order like 100 issues to mm-hmm. get this one book, which they're going to then sell for, you know, whatever, 15 times, 20 times, 100 times it's worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's where they, you see a lot of these big runs. You find them in, in dollar bins, quarter bins. Right. Because and if, so – you know, people keep asking, how can the comic book industry save itself and not keep spiraling down into this toilet of of where it's going, which is basically going to, you know, it, it, someone's talking about the next bubble pop. I think it was um, Paul Tuma, who I think listens to our show here. Um, he's a, he's a, a writer and a uh, political cartoonist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's asking, when's the next bubble going to be that's going to pop, that's going to cause the industry to take another step downward, spiral downward further? And, I, I, you know, how do we get back out of this? And my, 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 my solution is that Marvel and DC are the ones that hold the responsibility here. They're the ones that can save the industry and they're the ones that can kill the industry. The independents don't really have a voice in it. They can come out with their books they can find their niche crowds, but if the big industry fails, the little industry is going to fail too. Yeah, but I think the, the independent companies are putting out books that are closer uh, in tone and style with what we're talking about here. They're putting out, but they don't have the toys in the toy box that they need. No, we no. need we need we need the toys in the in the Marvel and DC toy box to be brought out and played with properly, and because they're not doing it. And they're not rethinking the business model. They think that the business model is sell it to specialty stores and use that as R&D for the movies. Well, I think now that the movies are so – the movies are, are what's uh, steering the ship. I think everything is kind of in service of the of, – you can tell by the, the type of books they're putting out and, and the fact that we don't have a Fantastic Four book. That yeah, it's it, it's all geared towards you know they'll change stuff in the in the books to mimic the movies. I think the bubble pop is going to be in the film industry when superhero films kind of go the wayside the way they will. Well, like you know, else. 
the thing is, is that we're at the top of the bubble right now. Black Panther is doing so much. This weekend alone, Black Panther's been out for over a month. It's In five weeks, it is still the number one movie at the box office. It is doing, and I hate to say this, Titanic numbers. Well, if it wants to take it, out Titanic, it's fine. I, I, I'm and that, little... that was my prediction all along. I said that it was going to go somewhere between Titanic and, Titanic and Avatar in dollars. Now, it's got a better chance of doing it just because of inflation and everything. But the, the thing is, as far as the comic book industry goes, they're going the other way. And sales are dropping because they're just not writing for, you know, the thing is, is that, that they only think that they can write for one audience for some reason. And right now they're sitting there going, well, we need to go where our bread and butter is. And that's that age of, you know, the, the guys in their 40s that, you know, still live in their pajamas, you know, in their parents' basement. But those are, the, it, those are the very guys that don't want to read what they're putting out now. Right, right. The, the thing is, the, the industry doesn't know how to fix itself. And I'll, I'll, I've got a thought on that. Number one, the digests that are selling in Walmart and other places are selling out everywhere you go. They're selling out. This is this tells you something. It is a I mean, they're seven dollar books. You know, they're not just cheap. They're seven dollars book. But still, as an impulse buy, people are picking them up or kids are saying, Mom, I want to see that or, or whatever. We've got an opportunity to get comic books back into stores like Walmart, Target and other places. And I say that if they can sit there and start selling them there, put it at a smaller price point, one ninety nine. But you're going to sell more books so you can afford the smaller price point because you're going to make more money that way. And you sell the books prepackaged. That means you know, that they're in plastic with a board. Maybe you, you raise it another quarter for that. But by doing that, they don't get messed up. Because like, one of the problems we always have with the spinner racks mm-hmm. is that the books would bend over and the, the, they wouldn't get picked because they've been messed up. Because people didn't want the messed up comics. Right. That's the same and, with like you used to get subscriptions the same way. Right. And when you went to Toys R Us, other places that actually tried to sell books, their racks, the kids would just mess them up. But by keeping them packaged, they got a chance of surviving longer on the shelf so that someone comes in a month after it's come out, they're still likely to buy it because it's kept in decent shape. Yeah. Right now, uh, they're still they're selling uh, Marvel and DC packages, like three comics for like $5 at Walmart, but there are books that are five and 10 years old. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, leftovers. Yeah. They're, they're leftovers. They need to be putting new books out there and they need to have them, you know, shown up in a place. The, 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 the sales will actually, this is just my guess. I could be wrong. I feel like the sales would save the industry. And, and one other thing that, that needs to happen. Marvel needs to hire on John Byrne as the creative consultant. He doesn't have to draw anything. He doesn't have to write anything. But he would be the guy telling him, this is the way you want to go. This is the direction. He'd tell them what works and what doesn't work. Stop doing the fanboy stuff and actually start telling stories again. Well, it could be Byrne. It could be, I think, any... any Roy Thomas. Right. Any of the, any Anybody from... Uh, from that age, yeah. It could be Roger Stern. I mean, it could be... Uh, or create a consultant's table. Yeah. could be a, a series of guys. Yeah, um, but I'm sure they did think that they're the. I don't know. I, I don't. I, so much. They, of, they, they've got to rethink the model. That's all there is to it. That's. Yeah. I mean, that's the the thing. I mean, people are, hmm. are still buying stuff. I guess. I don't. I mean, I, I haven't gone into a brick and mortar store in a while because I like the, the few books I buy. I'm getting from discount comic book services, but 
just because it's it's cheaper. You know, I can't I can't afford five bucks for for books anymore. But right, same here. I'm, I'm kind of wanted to not even read new stuff. It's like I've got, and I can, you know, I can think, oh well, will the industry not produce anything good anymore? But it's like I've got 50 years of books, I can go back, turn back, and if if they stop making books now, there's still enough books that you could read the rest of your lifetime. I think we're stuck in, you know, and it's, it's not, I guess you could call it old guy syndrome or whatever, but it's, you know, we like our flavor of ice cream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there's a shop that still serves that flavor of ice cream, we're going to go there over any, anything else. The stuff that's coming out isn't written towards us as much as it was, or too much has changed or, you know, we, we, we like that, that Peter Parker, that isn't a rich millionaire with his own business, but you know, we like that that Peter Parker to be a certain way, you know, be going through certain things. We like our Steve Rogers to be Captain America going through certain things. Mm-hmm. We like our Tony Stark to be the rich industrialist and not, you know, we don't want them to be social justice warriors. We want them to be superheroes. Yeah. And it's just, you know, the preference of, of how things were done at a particular time we really enjoyed. When you start trying to read it at other times, you know, I had a hard time reading a lot of the um, – Grant Morrison JLA. I mean, I just didn't like the way it was written in the book. I didn't like the the dialogue, the the way that the the panels were done. You know, the artwork was beautiful artwork, but it didn't tell me the story the way I wanted to read a story. Yeah, I think what the funny thing about Morrison is I I think a lot of older readers don't like him. A lot of new readers do like him. Well, I liked Earth Two. As uh, like an Elseworlds kind of story. Yeah, yeah, I looked up, I like that. That 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 was really really interesting, really fun, beautifully drawn. But you know, the other stuff that he's done is just mm, yeah. Mm. And it, he he's kind of very polarizing. Either you either love him or like him or you hate him. Um, and kind of I'm, I'm somewhere yeah I'm somewhere in in the middle of it all. Anyway, I'm trying to find me right now a nice Kindle version of A Hot Move Volume Two. And uh, it doesn't look like they've got they've got it. It looks like it can only buy the. I guess I'll have to buy an actual bound volume of it. Is that the? Are you talking about the deluxe, not the loose leaf pages? No, no, I I don't want loose leaf pages. I would like a a nice digital copy because you know I've got digital scans of a hot move, but the pages a a lot of them are really kind of washed out. When I was trying to read the angel entry. You know, um, it, it, it is it is difficult and muddy to read mm-hmm. because of the way the, the page of the scan was done. Well, and that type is so small anyway. It's like a 7.8 point type. It's sometimes it's hard yeah. to read even but, you physically you know, in a book. It, and Ohatmu is actually something that we might want to discuss one day. Uh, or, you know, I mean, I know I know we need to close up here real quick. But um, I, I, I find it funny that as you look through Ohatmu – Eighty percent of the panels of a lot of the modern characters are all burn Burned panels. Stuff. Yeah, maybe that's a little segment we can just put in. You know, burns oh hot move. Yeah, it, it's you know it would take some research though. I'd have to sit there and really yeah. dig into it. But we got uh, a lot of uh, fun stuff uh, in the in the hopper for the next couple months. Um, but uh, do you got anything else you want to say about this Hulk annual? No, I just thought it was a it was a blast to read. It, it, it reminded me so much of. The X-Men, I started to read, when I started reading, had burned stuff that felt, you know, I thought they had to kind of voice down pretty well. Had, yeah. It was just fun. It's just This is just what comic book should be. It should exactly. be just sit down and it's just, you know, 35 pages of fun is what it, you know, 
That's what I wanted this, of a book. Okay, you just named the title of this episode. 35 Pages what, of Fun? <laughs> what comics should be. The subtitle, yep. 35 Pages of Fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that that's that's great. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you in, in, in every aspect of that. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of fun with this one. Um, I want to do more like this. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, but again, we've got a, a, a couple things coming up in the hopper. Should be pretty fun uh, as, as, as the months go on. Uh, some shows that are kind of outside the box, uh, a couple guest stars, and, uh, of course, movies coming up that uh, we want to, you know. Piggyback uh, on. Piggyback on, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, look, look out for these next few months uh, at Third Degree Burn. We're going to have a lot of fun. You got anything else you want to say? No, nope, no, nope, I think I'm good. All right, well, for Third Degree Burn, my name is Brian Hughes. This is Tim Elliott, and you are our listeners. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. Duck to banner, belted by gamma rays, turned into the Hulk. Ain't he unglamorous? Reckon the town with the power of a bull. Ain't so monster prone, who is as lovable as ever-loving Hulk? Hulk, Hulk. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Until next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. All right, I'll be mad.